Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. All right, everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Puzzling Company. I am Jared, and with me always... It's Zach. Oh, Zach, we're not alone anymore, my friend. Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a tryout for your position per se, but I just thought we'd have some new flavor. And if they are a little more flavorful than you, maybe we'll keep them around and we'll, we'll, we'll put you in the developmental league. What? I, we didn't talk about this. That's <laughs> how these things work, but I'm just kidding. I could never replace you. I'm more worried about you replacing me. I'm going to replace you <laughs> today. So fast. Today we're talking about box one and we're talking about box one with our friends David and Lisa over at Room Escape Artists. That's actually really cool. I know. They're, they've are they been in the game for a long time. We really respect their opinion, and we were yes. super excited to have them on the show. So we're going to do our first section uh, without them. We're going to give our opinion on the game, and then we're going to bring them in for a fun second and third section. I'm excited. Let's get it started. All right. Jared, I got to cut out a little early today. I have an interview. An interview? You didn't tell me about that. Where at? What soup? Oh, nice. I've heard really great things about the soup shed off of I-24. So come on down to the soup shed. No, Jared. Soup is a society for the observation of unknown phenomena. They actually sent me my first case as a test. Take a look at this folder. Why is this folder full of pictures of me? Well, they are all about documenting the weird and bizarre. If you'd like a chance to join soup, head on over to crackinutmysteries.com. How did they get this picture of me in the shower? All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. As you know, we are talking about Box One today. Box One is a game by Neil Patrick Harris, the legendary actor, as well as Theory 11, the company that helped produce the game. Uh, It was a different take, uh, in my opinion, and... Honestly, this is one of the few games that is mass market and has a lot of buzz in the puzzling community as well. Yeah. For it, some of the different angles that it took on a traditional game. Yeah, it's blowing up like mad. Yeah, people, I, I would say in the last six months, this is probably the most talked about game in the circles that we're a part of. Yeah, it's it's very popular. So we always do one episode every month that is a new game feature, and that is what we have decided to spend the month of March opening up with. Yeah. And I don't think we could have picked a better game because it was it was a really good time. But in this section, as always, we talk about the things that we really loved about the game. And then we kind of chart into waters of what could have the game done of a little bit better, just a little constructive criticism. So, Zach, why don't you open us up talking about box one? What did we really love and like about this game? Ooh, there's a lot to talk about. If I had to pick anything to start off with, though, I would say that the narrative is simple. And it was really well done. So what I mean by that is the narrative doesn't like try to take itself way too serious. Uh, it's actually a very comedic uh, narrative, uh, but it's but it's well done. It's executed pretty pretty solidly uh, across the whole experience. the The beginning is really fun uh, when you find out what's kind of truly going on with the game as it unfolds, uh, literally in front of you. It's it, it gets quite funny at moments. Uh, but it, yeah, the narrative was well done overall. Yeah, I think so too. It, uh, I think you said it well. It didn't, it didn't take itself too seriously. 
and it was just one of those ones that you you just kind of had a smile as, yeah. you, as you were going through the narrative and figuring out because they do a really good job of at the onset you don't really know what's going on it also reminds me of watching like other shows that neil patrick harris has been on like that kind of comedy so like yes. watching like how, how i met, I met your, mother. your mother yes yep. one we both watch a lot like it just feels like Barney is uh, is there, <laughs> and I'm watching him like trying to do this, set up this game for me. Um, but yeah, it, it does it well. Yeah, and and I, I think the lesson here for people out there is it wasn't it wasn't complex, simple is key. Simple, it it, it flowed really well. Um, you'll see in our later sections, we had some people with some different thoughts on the narrative aspects, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it just. It, it got out of its own way and it was just funny. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember a lot of other stories that we've covered where you would say like, that was a really funny story or mm. it, 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 it presented itself very professionally. Like the, the, the touch and feel of this game alone is yeah. really high quality for a mass market game. Yeah, definitely. In is. my opinion. But then it really drove that home well with a well executed, simple, fun, goofy story. Mm depending on whose perspective in the story you're going to take. That's true, yes. Very for, much so. For our uh, protagonist, not not the uh, ideal situation you ever want to find yourself in. True. Yes. But play the game. Play the, If you haven't played the game, play the game to know what we're talking about. Uh, what else, Zach? What did uh, what really stood out to us besides the story? Ooh. Um, there's a few other things. I think the reveals and the aha moments that happen in the game. 100%. Uh, there's one pretty early on in the game that very much tells you the game you are playing is not what it seems. Um, and then there are a few aha moments near the end as well and kind of throughout the entire experience. All very well done. Um, the one at the beginning made me freak out the most when I played it, right? Because this, just a reminder, this game is made for one player. Correct. That's a really good point that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, the game was literally designed as a game to play by yourself. And... There are a few times in this game that I went, oh, you know, like, like we were playing and I was like, okay, this is an interesting game. There's not much, you know, like there's things going on, but I'm not sure how to feel yet. And then the first big event happens where I go, oh, that's not what I expected. And then the next one happens when you start finding out more about the narrative. And I go, oh, I didn't expect that either. And then it keeps going and little more aha moments happen. And in the end you go, oh, okay, this all added up well. Um, so the reveals and those little moments where you felt satisfaction from seeing what evolved uh, felt quite good. And there were a, an impressive amount of those moments yes. in the game. And I and I think that's really where you see the marriage between Neil Patrick Harris, who does kind of have a magic background as well. Yes. And Theory 11, which is that's what their bread and butter is. Yes. Is this game more than anything felt like it took a lot of risks. It did. And and a lot of them, in my opinion, paid off. And you're left with, in my opinion, I think what this game does better than anything is we're always talking escape rooms because we know a lot of people can relate to that as well. But this felt more like that, the aha you get from like a secret door yeah. or a new room. Like you got that over and over and over again in this game and in different ways. And you were just like, how much can they hide? Yeah. How much can they hide in this game? It was truly, truly, truly impressive. And I think some of the ones for people who have played this game that really stick out, we would have all be in agreement where it was just like, I didn't see that coming. Because one of the interesting aspects, the way Zach and I played this game, is we decided to play it separately and compare notes. Yeah. And Zach played it first. I did. And then it was really funny because Zach was in the room for, I think, 
the entire time that I played the game. Yes. And it was really funny to watch Zach's reaction when I when I felt like I was coming up on like a big reveal. Like he would just get kind of coy and smiley. And then uh, he got a big smile when I would find a reveal. And it was just he was just like, oh, just just wait. Like yeah. there's there's more coming. And I think it was also interesting for Zach watching that game to see how I would attack things differently than he did. Yes. And also what I did differently. So um, as David and Lisa will tell you, they played the game together. But I think it would also be really fun if for our listeners out there, have one person play the game first and then watch the other person play it. Maybe it's even funny. maybe even kind of act like a de facto GM that wasn't maybe wanted or unwanted in that space. It, yeah. But it's worth it because for for us, because we've been doing escape rooms for five, six years now, yeah. the, the most fun part of the games are, one, the things that you don't expect that groups do that are crazy. But the other thing is just watching them enjoy aha moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding that secret thing, doing that thing, and then getting that look of like, whoa, I was not expecting that. This game, more than any other game we've ever played or seen, just capitalized so hard on that. And it's, it, and in my opinion, it is that magic theory or magic formula. Yeah. Like the reveal, the payoff is more so in the things that you find in this game than necessarily the puzzles that you solve. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair, a no, fair thing? No, I, I, I think it's a perfect example to be a magic trick. I mean, yeah. I think some of it is it shows you something and then it goes, watch this. And then you you do something else to it and boom, it becomes something completely different. And you go, okay, I didn't get how I did that. you know, Or you're surprised and you look back and you go, okay, I get how they did that. But they did it so well that I felt like it was a big surprise to me to, yes. to see that reveal. And that was exciting because I think coming from the standpoint that Zach and I are always coming from, which is we'd like to see more people play this game. Yeah, This is a game I'm super comfortable being with out in the mass market. Yeah, Like this, is, this isn't probably the first game that I would have people play, but mm-hmm. it is definitely one where if this is, if I wanted to intro them just into the genre and show them the fun and the joy that comes with these type of games. Yeah, throw this game out there. They'll love this. It has, uh, you know, somebody who is more well-known amongst many communities leading the charge in that. So I I think this was a win in general for the community. What else, uh, what was our final thing that we really liked about this, Zach? Ooh, okay. I think the last thing we really liked a lot was the physical and digital components. There's a lot of physical tangibility to this game, tons to be exact, and all of it, is produced very well. I mean, obviously, Boxel, uh, or Theory 11 and Neil Patrick Harris made a very solid game. All the components felt really good. None of it felt like cheap. If You know what I mean? Uh, There's a lot to it. It all played off each other quite well. Um, the digital component being the, um, the interface, you kind of watch some videos through and get some of the narrative as well as kind of a solving part for later part of the game. Um, I thought it was pretty well done overall. Um, now, there are probably little little critiques, very small, but overall, I think it was for a mass market game that made it pretty simple for most people. I, I think it did it well. It was clean. Yeah. Like the physical components were higher grade than I was expecting. The digital yeah. was really clean as well. And in talking with other creators, the the one thing, and we even had a reviewer leave us a review about this. They were wondering how did they pack all of that digital physical stuff in there and then price this thing at twenty nine dollars? It is Target? pretty nuts. Like, uh, there's like I would even say there's a really cool keepsake in there There's. that if you want to pull out and, and use, like it's it's fantastic, and it is. They they gave you your bang for your buck in this game, hands down, and they did it through a lot of different means. And 
I think what people really love so much about this game is we're talking about all of them is it, it just it took us all by surprise. Yeah. Right? You you see this game, box one, you're coming out, you, oh, you play it by yourself. And it just I, it capitalized on, I think, a lot of the misperception that people had. The thing going the other way now is, is this is a very hyped game. Yeah. So I think that brings us well into talking about the section second portion of this section, which is where did we feel like there was there was uh, room for growth? Uh, what what would you say to that in this game? Because this is a so far a, a much beloved game. Where where do you feel like this could grow, Zach? Sure. Um, so the few things I thought about this game was gating. Oh, preach! Uh, gating was very very used in this game. Um, specifically, there is a few points where you. Well, I would argue it wasn't used well enough in this game. True. Sorry, that's what I mean. Sorry, gating is not used well. Okay. Um, so what I mean by that is that you are able to look around and find things. Fair, okay, if you play a lot of these types of games, I'll be very clear. You can find things very quickly that you're not supposed to find Correct, yet. correct. You are not, like, it is a game that if you start actively looking like if you're playing an escape room and searching every corner. You will ruin this game. You will you will ruin the game very quickly. Um, now, was there, I, I want to be fair, was there true. any... Was there any direction earlier in the game that would hint us to not just go rummaging through? Correct. There are direct instructions on what you should start on and what to follow. So then I think the question is, why are we still saying that this is a a dislike, even if maybe we had some instruction on the front end? Sure. I think the issue is some of it you can find without trying. Right on, man. Yeah. Like Now, some of it, if I went out my way and tried to, like let's say, destroy the box and find a hint, I'm going to find it, right? Let's, you know, if they did that, the issue with this was like, I opened up the first thing and without spoiling later saying anything, there's something else involved with something else you get very early on. And actually Jared did this. Jared found part of the ending. I beat the game in five minutes. Yeah. Technically Jared found the ending without, and I, when I saw that, I went, "Uh, Jared, you're not supposed to have that. Um, And he didn't mean to, he just, just, yeah. It just accidentally came like a part of the game that you need later kind of showed up to him without him like purposely doing it. I guarantee you I hold the record for beating this game. That's true. You probably do. (laughs) Um, Then we just had a few moments like that where it was just like you looked at it and you went, you know, you act, you like I said, that one was a perfect example of like a pure accident. Yes. But there are other moments where if you really thought about it, you're like, that looks weird. And if you messed with it by a little bit, you could skip things or yeah. find things you weren't supposed to. Well, here, here's why to me, this was a tad frustrating because I'll, I'll give a couple different examples. It's people who are going to play this game are curious. Yes. Very and, much so. and what this game asks you to do is almost, uh, be patient with your curiosity or it's to, really, yeah. or to self gate yourself. And it's really weird because the excitement level and the mystery starts to really amp. Yes. And it goes, yeah, it's that whole weird thing where the game goes, hey, I just introduced a whole new element to this game and I'm making you think what the heck is going on, but I want you to do this one step at a time and like really don't look at anything else when it's all in front of you and you go, ah, that's not how it feels. And I want to give them a little bit of grace because that's the world this was born into is people doing it. And I understand that there is, I don't want to completely tear down the notion of self-gating, right? Because sure. we, we play plenty of other games that say, don't open this envelope until yeah. X. But there wasn't anything like that in this game. It was yeah. all in very physical spaces. Yes. If you're if you're an adept player, you were already like wanting to dig into things. 
and it was really, I think it was one of the weakest points of the game mm -hmm. because it, in essence, another analogy I'll use is it was like a magic trick that you could interact with where the person, the magician was like, no, 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 don't look under that. Yep. Like, no, 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 close, close, like, close like, and, and, and good magicians know how to handle a crowd well, but when you're turning the trick completely over to the crowd, they've got to be able to interact with it, mess with it, do everything in their power they can and not mess up the trick. Yes. And that did not hold true for this game. True. I feel like a lot of people who are like, this is the greatest game of all time, played it flaw free. Yeah, that's true. And just were either lucky or just internally more patient and, and read the rules in a way that a lot of the rest of us didn't. Sure. So the reveals were great, but I feel like for a lot of listeners out there, they were ruined either by accident or just by natural curiosity. Yeah. And I think if they could figure out a way to eliminate that, that moves this game, in my opinion, from a good game to just an unreal game. Yeah. Like how in the world did, did they, they pack all of that in? Sure. Now, the other thing that I'm going to bring up here, I feel like this may be more of a matter of opinion, but there is a section of this game, and I, I'm not going to call this a spoiler because I feel like people deserve to know this on the front end. It, I think it'll help the experience knowing this. Sure. There is a point in the game that you have to wait 24 hours to complete. Yes, the game requires, it is not a game you can play in one sitting. No, and that was a little frustrating for me. Yeah, uh, Jared will tell you the same. I think we both had this opinion when we played it. I was intrigued the first time when I told Jared, like, hey, I, I actually can't complete. I have to wait till the next day. And I thought that and was interesting. And I was like, what are, and I, I kept asking him, I was like. But then when I played it, my issue was when we played it, I realized, I was like, that that didn't need to be there. Like, there was no reason to wait 24 hours for it. Like, I mean, it was interesting because it made sense in the narrative, like why you have to wait. Um, Like, so we don't want to spoil that for you, why that, like, why that is. But it just it felt unnecessary. I agree. It didn't seem, I understand that it was trying to drive home some more immersive nature of the game in terms mm -hmm. of the storytelling. Uh, but I, I, I did not, this is just me personally. I did not personally enjoying it, especially since it felt like more of the content was on the front end as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, the ending is, uh, like, so I don't want to spoil anything, but it very much is the, the first part of the game that you complete without waiting 24 hours is a majority of the game. The part after the 24 hours potentially can be shorter. If you've, I'm going to say found other things. If you've played. Yeah. Like for us, the second part of the game was really quick compared to the first part. All in all though, this is a really, I would call it a cool game. Yes. It's, it, it's it, very, it's well not done. the perfect narrative game. It's not the perfect puzzle game, but it does something no other game is trying to do right now. And that is admirable. And that pushes innovation. And I really support them for that. No, I think it being a one player experience that is very top notch for the price you pay. Yes. And all that you get to do in it is very much worth it. And it must was, play easy, must play. easy, must play, you know, Obviously, like any game, there can be critiques, though. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap us up for our first section. We're super excited now. Puzzle to the People is next, and we're bringing in our good friends, David and Lisa, to chat it up and talk about the reviews. Whoop, whoop. Stay tuned. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. <sighs> I'm over it. Over what? Christmas. People can't let this holiday go, man. I'm still receiving Christmas-themed mail. Look at this red envelope I got yesterday. Jared, you are so uncultured. Uncultured? 
Because I refuse to celebrate Christmas year-round? No, you're uncultured because one, that color is scarlet, not red. And two, because that envelope is jammed packed with puzzles and mysteries. Scarlet Envelope features escape room style experiences that you may receive every month in the mail. Each episode features a different story, but all their experiences are tied together in a bigger narrative that you are trying to unravel. I think I could get down with Christmas all year. Well, head on over to scarletenvelope.ca to start your adventures today. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're so hyped right now. I don't think you guys understand how excited we are to have, because really these are our first guests. Yes, they very much are. And I don't think we could pick two better people with us are David and Lisa. Don't say Spira. That's a mistake. That say, is a mistake. Say Spira. Yes. Uh, they've always, I think they've heard them say before, it's like Spyro the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the route you want to go. But we're, we're super ex- excited to have you guys. Thanks for coming on with us. Thank you so much for having us. We're honored to be your first official guests, and we've been loving the podcast so far, so we're happy to be a part of it. Well, thanks. Thanks yeah, for listening thank you, thank to you. it. That means a lot. I joked with Jack, uh, with Zach earlier, in the, not Jack, Jack earlier in the episode that we were actually auditioning uh, new people for his part, yeah. and he didn't take too kindly to that, but we're, we're super excited. If you don't know, David and Lisa... They have a long, long-running review blog called Room Escape Artist. Yes. If you're not already on there, I don't know really know what you're doing with your life. But you should definitely check that out, roomescapeartist.com. And they also have a brand new podcast. Out. What? Yes. Super exciting stuff. Uh, I'm already forgetting what the name is, but I know you won't. Reality Escape Pod. That's why I love having you on I know this. you do. It's it okay. is the Reality Escape Pod. It is available where all of your podcasts are. And this is a, a brand new, so you guys, please tell us what this is all about because yeah. we want our listeners to hear about this as well. So the Reality Escape Pod is a brand new project. It's, it's kind of been in the works for like three years. I just kept kicking the can down the road, but it's something I've really wanted to do. Just so many projects. Yeah. Um, my co-host is not Lisa. <gasps> what? No, I know. We were actually hoping it was going to be Lisa and insert the blank, but we'll still listen. We're not that disappointed. Yeah. We're creating content with other people. Um, but yeah, so we, my, my co-host is PG law who hosted the Q and A's at the convention that we hosted this past summer, the reality escape convention, which was the bomb. Yes. Thank you. Thanks. She is also a two-time player of survivor and a diehard escape room and immersive theater and gaming consumer. So we've gotten to know each other over the last year and just decided, you know what, this is the right duo to launch a podcast. She was, uh, she was kind of over, she was the master of ceremony or no, was she, I remember she was very frequently on recon. She was the Q and a host of recon, which meant at the end of every talk, she showed up, uh, with the, um, the presenter and asked them a whole bunch of things. Uh, she took questions from the audience and she got to know everybody who gave a talk at recon and she was great. She was on all day. Well, we, we can't wait. Tell us a little bit about the, the format of what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. So it's a interview show. Um, episode zero is, is just PG and I getting to know each other. But after that, the focus is entirely on interviews where we're bringing in creators from all over the gaming and immersive gaming world. Um, so the first guest that we have on is going to be Alon Lee from Exploding Kittens. Ooh, nice. That's actually really cool. Alon has done everything. He, 
he's actually, and I didn't know this until I was doing my background research on him. And that's one of the things here is I, I, I really stalk our guests and I <laughs> do my best to ask them questions that they haven't been asked a thousand times because yeah. we do a lot of media. We do a lot of podcasts and, um, we find we're always answering a lot of the same questions. So what I'm trying to do is I know how delighted I am when someone asks me a question that I knew they like, they really had to do their homework mm. and put a lot of thought into. So that's the experience that I'm trying to give the guests. Um, and so then that's, so that's what PG and I are doing. But Alon Lee, he is um, one of the co-creators of the ARG format. Like wow, the format wow. didn't exist until... Him and a few of the people he was working with birthed the concept into the world, That's which crazy. blew my mind. Yeah, that is wild. I'm I'm secretly hoping, though, not out of a disparity to your new podcast, but that you dig a little too deep once and just say something that just, oh, yeah. So tell me about your uh, your sister's kid and that softball game I was at last week. Oh, no. And just and they're like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm really hoping that's the <laughs> amount of research that goes into it. And, and oh, we just no. get some awkward, nice eruptions at some point. I, I try to keep it professional. But some <laughs> of these people are just really interesting. <laughs> I get it. I, I think that's going to be great. Well, we we want to let everybody know we will actively be tuning in that. That is a must for your podcast yes. rotation. Yes, yes. Um, and I think it's really cool because it is. I hope that it is a uniting opportunity for all of these different adjacent worlds that we exist in. Yeah, that's that's precisely the goal. the The reason why this isn't just an escape room podcast is that we want to use it as sort of a Trojan horse to go and sneak all of these people from adjacent spaces into the escape room and puzzling worlds. Because I think that if you're a video gamer or a tabletop gamer or an RPG player or an immersive theater goer, there's a really good chance that you're going to like the stuff that the escape room world and even and, and also the tabletop escape room world, I think that they have a lot to offer these these, these communities but I just don't think that these communities realize that it's there for them. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think, I mean, even if I may be so bold to give an example, like I, I, because of you, I would have never have heard of the in and of itself on Hulu. I saw that on y'all's blog. I watched that and that was some powerful stuff. I don't want to go down a tangent, but I think that's a great example. I never would have known that that was there if that hadn't, if, if you weren't doing the work of bringing all those things together. Thank you. Yeah. I, if you like, if you can watch in and of itself and not feel like <laughs> profound feelings, I would suggest consulting a doctor. <laughs> I, I I had I made the mistake of watching it by myself, and then forcing people in my circle to go watch it just so I could debrief it. It's that it's, it's crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's so crazy. Well. These are two people that we could go down an infinite number of tangents with. Yes. And that's obviously going to be a struggle for us on our show today. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially with the juicy questions that we have throughout the show. But I want to go ahead and bring us into talking about our second section where, for those of us that listen to us regularly, you know this is where we read people's reviews. We try really hard to go out into our community and ask people what they think about the game, because we are firm believers that nobody wants to hear from us all of the time. That's Maybe true. even some of the time. I'm not really sure. I'm sure there's a great crowd out there that just skips to the second section, skip, skips our first part, and comes into this. But we're going to do something different today. 
we're not we're not going to say anything except except read the reviews and we have asked David and Lisa mm-hmm. to take our roles and we're going to hear purely from them today. Oh. How do you how do you feel about that? Uh to be honest, I'm still a little upset you're trying to replace me, but I mean <laughs> these are two great candidates, so we'll have to see how they do. So, we are uh we've already talked about this before we started recording. Uh, the role of Zach today will be played by David, so we're going to throw the question. And I'm honored that Lisa is playing me. Like that is that I was hoping it would go that route because uh, if I had to, if I had to pick one, I, sure. think, I think people know who I would pick. I would pick and, David. But, you know, uh, clearly, you know, clearly. We, we worked it out well. If you could only have one, who would you take? Yeah, ready? I'm going to take. Lisa and and I and I think uh, we that should be a poll on on room escape artist one day although (laughs) David or Lisa David or Lisa like island in the Caribbean you know you can only take one of them who do you take with you oh okay um just so just so we know these are um we've done it a couple different ways but these are direct reviews from creators Mm -hmm. and mostly enthusiasts this is not stuff that we pull from the general audience um, we're actually pulling Amazon reviews for our next episode where we have the ladies from Wild Optimus oh, on yes. um, and uh, reading Amazon reviews just because uh, I thought that would be fun since it was a mass market game. But I want us to jump right in. And like I said, David, we're going to throw it to you first. I'll read a review and it's do you agree with what they're saying or not? And feel free to agree with different segments and disagree with part of it. Mm-hmm. But we try to give you a good variety of of what people said. So this this first one is actually from a creator that we are both familiar with and I think we both really enjoy. This is from Angela from Crackanut Mysteries. Yes. And uh she, I I I we I think we'd all agree she's the bomb. I mean, she's she's box one Oprah right now. <laughs> she is, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Europe loves Angela right now yes. because box one is there because of her. Yes, very much so. That's so true. I think she's single-handedly refunding the U.S. postal system. <laughs> I, I think so. And so much so that I, I think I saw an announcement recently to where they're going to start shipping this game. I think they saw a business opportunity that Angela was funding, and they're like, okay, this game is going more worldwide than it's been. We sent Theory 11, because we've been in communication with them, we had actually sent them a message saying, hey, this is going on. Like, there are people who are actively like pirating the game to like like buying it to go and sell it o- o- over the border like you got to figure out a way to do this yeah. i i'm glad that you did because i i'm i think we are both in agreement we want people to play good games yes. like we want we want this to go as far as we can we want to see this community grow and it's exciting but let's see let's see how in sync with angela you guys are here is what she said she said Box One was an absolutely brilliant journey from beginning to end. I have highly recommended it to everyone. I really hope that Neil Patrick Harris and Theory 11 plan on releasing something similar down the road, but I just can't imagine how they could top Box One. David, thoughts to you first. Yes. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, It's definitely fair. So I think journey is a great word for box one. So of all the words to pull out of that review right there, I think that's the unexpected word for a tabletop escape game, but it captures it brilliantly. I like it. Yeah. Enough said. I like it. I Enough like it. said. All right. Zach, you want to go in with uh, question number two? Or I, I think all of the the less flattering reviews are number two. I don't want people to like subconsciously 
think like, oh, he's reading all the bad ones. So I'll save you for three and four and I'll read one and two. Oh, thank you. Uh, okay, this is a review from Princess Bride 42. Ooh. They said, I thought the game emphasized the awesomeness of Neil Patrick Harris way more than necessary. I found most of the puzzle surprises before instructed. I found the website to be difficult to navigate, even when I knew where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Based on the hype, I was very underwhelmed. I will say the quality of the materials was nice, but it was way too smug for me. Okay. So first of all, I do think that hype can murder an experience. So I don't want to take away from what this person is saying because hype, and we've experienced this with games where people have been like, oh, you absolutely have to play this. It's the greatest game in the world. Why, why haven't you played it already? And then you play it and you're like, it's, it was good, but it would have been better if you had not told me anything about it. So I, I can see that. Um, we didn't have a lot of those challenges. I also think that... Um, I don't know. I thought that for the most part, it didn't cast Neil Patrick Harris in the most positive light. It really only did at the very, very end. But for the most part, he comes across pretty cruel, uh, which I think is the joke. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess if you're reading that as awesome the entire way, then maybe your perception of reality is slightly warped because... He was not being awesome to his designer. We joked about that earlier. We were, we were like, uh, the protagonist in this uh, game really goes through a lot of suffering. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just seems, well, Lisa, what are you thinking? Well, I'll dig into the other part of that comment, which was the comment about uh, finding things too early. And that was something that we experienced. And it's something that, uh, has plagued the tabletop escape room market because you as a player don't know whether you're supposed to approach a game by following instructions and not touching anything until you're told to, or whether you're going to fail at the game if you don't dig really hard and look for all of the secrets that might be in that box. And so because of that um, sort of expectation setting issue, if you're used to the kind of games where you have to dig, then that's going to happen to you in uh, in box one. And if you don't realize very quickly that you should be playing this differently, then that's going to negatively impact your experience. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, we we very much talked about that. It was definitely, uh, when Jared played it, uh, luckily I got to play it first, and I didn't have that much of that happen to me. But specifically when Jared played it, I wanted to watch him do it, which was fun. But he uh, opened... Weird voyeuristic stuff going on in our okay. office. okay. No, but he he opened up the one of the very first things and instantly found something that you get near the end. And I went, "Oh no, you you don't need that. Please put it away." And you know, and it natu- it just uh, like naturally happened. Like he wasn't searching super hard. It just, you know, it just appeared to him. And so unfortunately, I will tell you that that thing that you found that you needed near the end um, has been changed since oh. the uh, oh. early production of. So we had the copy that was the same as your copy, and we made the same mistake. Mm. And David put that into his review. And Theory 11 told us that in a future, uh, I don't know the words. Future run. Future run Mm. of the game, they fixed that uh, because it was happening a lot to a lot of people. And so later versions, it is harder to make that mistake. 
That's and, encouraging. You know, That's it, nice to hear. There is, um, I can send you a link to uh, the reset video that shows the new reset so you can see what changed. That'd be fantastic. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Because I, I do think that was something that plagued a lot of people. Yeah. Zach, why don't you hit him up with question number three? Ooh, dude, this is a great reviewer. It comes from Soccer Mama. Dude, I, okay, here's the thing. These are my questions I always have to ask, right? Is it is she like a mom whose kids play soccer? Or is she like a soccer mom where she goes out there and she plays? Like she has like a cool like little like sign on the back of her, you know, her jersey. She runs around, she scores all the time. You know, I happen I to know. know for a fact this is Mia Ham. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 <laughs> Although that I don't know that, but that would be really great. Mia, if you're out there. Please play more puzzle games and let's have a conversation. That'd be great. Um, but the comment says, uh, really enjoyed all the physical elements of the game. Uh, Love the twists and turns. So, David, what do you think? I think that there are a couple of props in this game that really stand out. With all of the games that Lisa and I play, we don't keep most of them. We don't keep much of anything from any of them, to be honest. we The games that are replayable or repackageable, we give away. And the games that aren't, we throw away pretty much everything. We recycle what we can and occasionally keep something that is really special. This game has a lot of things that we kept. So yeah, the, 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 they picked their props right. There's not tons of them, but the ones that they put in there had meaning and were really cool. Lisa, what do you think? I agree. With that, there's one particular prop in this game that I love so much. I think it's here, actually. Oh, let's see it. Yeah, yes. that is a good one. It was, let it me was tell the... you that the reason that it's here is because we talk about this prop. So we were on a different call in this room, and we got it and brought it up here to show it to someone. So it's that cool, and that's why it's now sitting right here. Yeah. I mean, this might be, a, I don't know, if you cut this if this is a spoiler, if it's too much of a spoiler, but... The fact that this game took a cipher wheel and made a small change to it by reversing the inner letters, it eliminated the problem that cipher wheels in tabletop games usually have, which is you never know whether you have to read the outside in or the inside out. This game, with a tiny change, just eliminated all of that confusion and that alone was just jarringly good. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm with you. Uh, and and I, I was wondering if it was going to be that prop or the I'll call it the end of the trivia prop. Yeah, it, yeah. those are the two that we kept. Yeah, yeah, I totally totally yeah. get that. All right, what do you got for him? Question number four. Ooh, okay, let's see what we got. This is the fourth comment. Do we have a reviewer for it? I don't think, I think this was an anonymous review. Okay, anonymous, hello. Man, we have anonymous on the show a lot. I know, anonymous is a frequent visitor to our comment section. Yes, okay, so this is what the comment says. The 24-hour wait was infuriating. Then after that, we had all but one of the codes deciphered, so it took all of 10 minutes to finish. I totally see why people were smitten, but apart from the reveals, there was nothing that grabbed me. Lots of the fluff and the extra content online that you had to wade through it may have driven the story, but most of it served no other purpose. The puzzles were mostly following instructions, and the ending felt really rinse and repeat. What was your thoughts? So some interesting things to pack uh, to unpack there. The first is the following instructions part at the end does ring a little bit true to me. 
Um, that was one of the things that we really hit home in our review was if you aren't, you, ha if you, ha you have to be doing what the game wants you to do at the moment it wants you to do it. Otherwise, you're going to break it. And if you are used to or expecting or hoping for a free-for-all puzzle game, then that is going to be really annoying. I happen to think that they did that, they used that mechanic really, really well. I think that the biggest flaw with it was that the instructions were not clear enough about that fact. It tells you to suspect anything and kind of be observant, and it primes you to do what you tr traditionally do in a box game, which is start looking at everything. But then it wants you to behave in a different way. And that was actually my biggest issue with the game. Beyond that, I mean, I think I, I, there's just a lot of salt in that review. I think <laughs> that um, if you can say the statement, I see why other people are smitten with it, then you're at some, to some degree, you're choosing to not be. And, it, and that's, that's okay. But like, if you were able to recognize what was good about it, I don't understand at that point what the problem is. It's just saying, you know what? I get it. This one wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's... I'll speak to the interesting 24-hour comment because I think that's pretty polarizing. And I'll speak to my experience. So we did a hive mind review of this game, which means that we had a whole bunch of Room Escape Artist reviewers all play and write their own reactions as part of the same piece. So I collect everybody's reactions. I actually collected these before we had opened the game. And the playtime comments were quite interesting. And I was like, okay, this reviewer took 26 hours. And this one took 30 minutes. And I don't know what's going on. Which to me was super intriguing. I was like, David, we have to play this game immediately. The reviews are really crazy. Um, but... I think that's a really challenging thing. And in most games, I would be really mad about that break time, especially in a world where you play games with other people, you invited friends over, now you can't finish it, they can't come back tomorrow. In a world where, well, in, in a game that's made for one, it's kind of okay. And when the structure is such that you're so close to the end, as this commenter said, or this reviewer said, um, when you get to that part, if you, if you have a very busy life and you haven't planned yourself around having exactly as much time tomorrow as you had today, it's gonna still work. So I can complete, as a person who plans time, and plans time for us and our blog and everything, like I get it, I know where you're coming from, but I think that the game design here actually made it work which is surprising that's a good take no. I, I i agree i think that if if you had a 24-hour gap for a game that was designed for you to play with your friends like if we got a group of adults together to go and play a game tonight and that game concludes with so come back tomorrow and everyone's like well but we had the babysitter tonight mm -hmm. um that's a real feel bad experience it's why we hate it when tabletop games have email us for hints because you don't get the email for a day and all of a sudden that group of people you were playing with they're all gone um yeah but it, since it's a one person game i don't see the issue 
Yeah. I think that's I think that's totally fair. We we talked about it a little, and it was. It, I think our biggest thing is because it was one of the critiques that we cited, and it was just even for one, it was like maybe a little like heads up, like maybe a little nod to the time boundaries that this may accost you, even as a even as a single person. But I I totally see the heart of what you're saying, and I I'm I'm on board with it. Yeah, I think what I ultimately put as the playtime in our review, and I would have to check this, was something about like an hour playtime, but don't expect to do this in one sitting. So That's it like fair. hints yeah. at it, but um, but doesn't actually tell you what's going on. Well, the, the last question we have is, I know we've we've talked about a lot of different, the, the highs and the lows about the game, but the last, this question number five is just, uh, I, we can obviously go and, and read the review and you should go read in the review because one of the things that we appreciated is it is really well researched. It is really well thought out. Mm-hmm. But just as a, as a duo, tell us, tell us what you thought, like your overall impressions of this game. We were startled by it. We were not prepared to like it. Uh, to be totally honest with you, I was not expecting a game from a card company that wasn't really making games with a celebrity name on it to be something special. And so I like I, I went in not really excited about it. The game itself almost leans into that. The beginning is is reinforcing the whatever assumptions I had, the game was reinforcing it from the beginning. And then it undermined all of that and took us on this very different journey. And that's cool. That's what I want out of these types of experiences. I want you to build me a world and let me, you know, take me through it or let me explore it. I don't care which one, but please do let me know which one I should be doing. Like, I'm totally cool with, like, if, if you put this into a video game context, I'm cool with playing, you know, the levels in sequential order. And I'm cool with you dropping me into an open world and saying, explore, you may find something that's just going to kill you. Um, I don't care which one it is, but make sure I know which one it is. I think that David captured everything about our experience really well. I think the one thing I'll add is that we played as a duo. And I think there are a lot of questions out there about, because it's called Box One, and it's all about, it's a game for one. Um, And I just wanted to let people know that you absolutely can play as a duo. What's special about it is that you can play as one. And most games are not designed for that. But that doesn't negate playing it together. And we had a lovely time. That's awesome. That's 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 a fantastic way to wrap up this segment. So be be sure to stick around for our next session. It's usually called questions for creators, mm-hmm. but we're going to take it a little different route. And I, I'm uh, I'm most excited to have some really cool conversations with some really cool people in this next section. Yes, yes. So hang on, come on right back with us. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators. Zach. Listen, man, we we need to have a talk. Okay. What about? Well, I got your postcard in the mail, and I'm worried, man. Nothing made sense on it, and there was even things in there that implicated you in some kind of larger conspiracy organization. Yeah, I really don't see what the problem with that is. <laughs> wait, no, this, this isn't how our ads work. You usually... 
this is the part where we say, oh, it's a game and crazy, Jared, and we do that whole little shtick. But you're not saying that this time, so is this true? Well, if you're curious to find out what is true, you should head over to theenigmaemporium.com and check out the Wish You Were Here series. Oh, so it is a game, right? Zach? Zach? Come on, man, what's true? Well, welcome back, everybody. As you well know, usually we have a creator on this section, and usually it is not just a creator, but a creator of the game. But to our best abilities, you know, Neil Patrick Harris, he, he said he had time, and then he just, he, I, he, the schedule moved around. It's, it's, it's hard to pin that man down. It's okay. He's coming to my birthday party this weekend, so. That's really actually hurtful because I, yeah, we'll dive into that conversation later. Uh, but next best thing, or maybe, like I said, maybe even better, is if you haven't, if you're just tuning in with this, we have David and Lisa from Room Escape Arts with <gasps> what? us. What? Yes, uh, I, I, it's like evil, e- equal, if not better, in my opinion. They're pretty cool. They're they're pretty awesome. But we're gonna take it a different route. Instead of talking more about the game, we really thought this was the right people at the right time to talk about the state of the industry. And the industry, as we're talking about it today, is what our tagline is: at home puzzle and mystery games. Yes. So we're not we're not we're staying at our dining room table, our mm-hmm. our poorly lit den, our dungeon if you have one of those where you're playing all of your games. All of those are acceptable places at home. Yes. But we really want to dig into what is what what is making this tick, where are we at, where are we heading? And David and Lisa do such a good job of prescribing that for specifically escape rooms. They always have a yearly report where they talk about that. So we're going to do a mini treatise on that right now and just all four of us talk about where it's heading, where we want to see, and we have some really fun questions in here just to dig in depth into it. But if you don't know them, David and Lisa. You know it. Come on. <laughs> I was testing it's you. Not, it's not Spear. It's Spira. Spira. Don't, yes. don't goof it up. But they are the owners and creators of Room Escape Artists, wonderful people that yes. their mission is to get out there and I'm going to use the word be evangelists Ooh. for the escape room community. I think that's because they're, 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 they're out there and they're telling people about what they love. Yes. That's, that, I think that's what they're doing. They do a great job of it. Uh, but I want to, I want to dive into our questions now. Um, and we have about six or seven of them and feel free anybody at any time to pop in and talk, but I'm, I'm super pumped to talk about this. The first one is just this is what do we all think the current state of the at home puzzle and mystery world looks like and where do we think it's trajectory? And I want before we dive in, I want to pinpoint the date that we are on. We, this is February 24th of 2021. We are about a year into, or a year, like the start of COVID. Okay. Yeah. So that, and I think that is going to frame part of our conversation. Um, But that is where we are at. We are slowly in the U.S. starting to see people have signs of life to where they are emerging from Mm -hmm. their homes based on what part of the country you're from. But I think that's important to realize because we, we did see a boom. Yeah. We did see a boom. And a lot of that was a pivoted response from a lot of people that are in adjacent communities to doing this. And let's let's start the conversation there, s- setting the time and place for where this is all happening. We'll we'll open it up to you guys first, and then we'll we'll jump in on this question. The first thing that comes to mind is that the community is growing. The amount of products that I think are being introduced into the community 
I think is growing at a faster pace. So I feel like things are getting crowded, not necessarily a bad thing, mm. but I think it's just something that we're, we're, we're observing. In the early days, like when we first did our, our very first tabletop escape room re- review, which was uh, Escape Room in a Box, the werewolf experiment, yeah. we reviewed the prototype of that right before their Kickstarter went live. From that point forward, we reviewed every single tabletop game that pretty much entered the market for years. We can't do that anymore. We don't get sent all of them anymore. And the ones that we do, we are, we're, we're trying to catch up on our backlog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've been drowning in them. I, and we feel, I, we I, we feel get really it. bad about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we, we understand. We feel genuinely terrible about it. And we're, we're committed to getting the, the backlog under control. Our dining room looks like Christmas. <laughs> oh man! I know we have a closet right Our now that, that. that we have to shut during like work hours, or else we're, we're gonna we're gonna play something. Yes. So, but here to to follow up on that, do 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 we think that it's crowded the current state because are uh, the boundaries and the people that we're seeking after needs to go, and that what that's kind of what makes it seem crowded, or is it is it just for because in, in my opinion, this is um, it sometimes comes off as niche or a subgenre, what we're talking about. But I really feel like it, it, it is more than that and can be more than that. Mm-hmm. But is it feeling crowded because there's just so few of us involved in playing these games so far? I see it as a genre with subgenres. And I actually think that one of the issues that we have is that as a community, we don't pay enough attention to what those subgenres are. And I can, I'll name three that I see as, as the, the big ones. The first is mass market. The second is small scale or bespoke. And the third is subscription. Mm. All three of these categories are trying to do very different things. Agreed. Mm-hmm. The mass market ones are really good at production at scale they tend to do really beautiful graphic design because if you pay an artist a bunch of money and then you can print tens of thousands of copies of that, you know, you're paying for, it It, it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that they're really good at is profitability. Those mass market games, if you talk to these creators, you get an honest answer. These boxed games have like $2 worth of components in them. True. And they sell for, you know, and that's the ones that cost like 20 to $30. The ones that cost like 10 to 12 tend to be mostly card stock, and that's probably under a dollar's worth of material. So they're very good at those things. The small-scale bespoke stuff tends to be high-end design, outlandish production, and personalization is a more recent option that we've started to see introduced there. These are strengths that these things can have. And the subscription stuff delivers, you know, can deliver regularly. And also can do a serial narrative, which creates opportunities. All of these things have strengths. They all have their weaknesses. I think that the problems start to emerge when either the puzzles aren't good or weren't tested enough, which can affect all of them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Or when one of them steps poorly into the lane of another. Uh, What I mean by that is when a small-scale bespoke game feels like a subscription game it feels kind of like when you sign up for a subscription game and you're paying 15 dollars a month for something from a small business 
you are you're going to be more accepting of the paper goods and the you know the the lower production value but when you drop 40 50 60 100 dollars on a small run small scale bespoke game and it comes out as you know comes out looking like the subscription game that you also have you know have sitting on your table it's a big big problem and i also want to add to that that because there are subgenres, it's okay to like one of these and not the others or to like some more than the others. And I don't think there's necessarily great differentiation in the market right now, which means, and one of one of the things that we've always tried to do on Room Escape Artists for escape rooms and for any content is talk about who's it for. And I think that there are a lot of people who are entering this who haven't really figured out what's for them yet. And we're at that place in the market where we just have this boom and we're still trying to figure out, you know, what's for who. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. Yeah. Um, and then also you guys cover a lot and we don't, we kind of stay away from the digital world. Throw in the digital world that is evolving in front of our eyes right now. Oh gosh. It's, 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 it's mean, wild. It's, it's, um, it's scary how fast that has evolved. What we saw at the start of the pandemic, the rate of change was astounding. I used to wax poetically about the rate of change that we saw at the start of the escape room industry. The, the, the rate of change that we saw between 2014 and 2016 was dumbfounding. But the rate of change that we saw between April and August of last year was frightening. The stuff that was amazing in April, with the exception of maybe Lost Temple, was far less relevant to the diehard community by the end of the summer. It's it's interesting. It's it's fun to watch something evolve that fast. And I would say for the digital genre, uh, there's even more subgenres that are even harder to capture to articulate what it is, who it's for. And this is a, a huge debate in the hive mind sometimes is like, how do we even describe what type of game this is? Or in some cases, some, what is it? Yeah. 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 And some of that is that people are creating new things all the time. So it's like, well, we've never seen anything like it before. And it, you know, it, it meshes different things together, but yeah, it's just, um, there are lots and lots of different types. Digital is, is huge. Yeah, I totally agree. What are your what are your thoughts, Zach? Oh man, like the at home puzzle and mystery world. Like the, I think they said it perfectly too. I think it's just like exploded where there's so much content, but it almost feels like there's not enough people playing them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the interesting part that you know I think we all try to do is we want to show more people that there's all this content, but there's so much that you know like in our in our closets or on their, in their dining room table we're just we can't keep up with it yeah and it, and it's crazy because it feels like to me being kind of newer to it is that there's a community that plays all these and they feel almost like there's just, there's so much of it but i feel like there's so many people who just don't even know about it at all right so it just it it still just dumbfounds me how that works for you know for some people and then the trajectory like it's these games are just getting more and more content but as the world kind of tries to go back to a normal state almost too is I'm interested to see how much of it stays. Cause I feel like some of it is just a pivot for like, you know, different uh, subgenres or different adjacent kind of businesses to make that opportunity. And then when they, when it all ends, they're just going to go back. 
right? They're going to go back to their escape room worlds or their board games, or if it's going to decline almost in some of the content. Yes. But, you know, there are people who've been around for a very long time. And I know the, you know, Dave and Elisa, they, they've been able to, you know, review all of it over a long period of time. So they, they have a good idea, but I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how that's going to stay. Well, let's talk about that. Where, where do we see the, tra- where is the trajectory going? Like that's, that's a big question that I think a lot of us ourselves included are asking. I mean, when you look at the companies, the escape room companies that pivoted into this out of necessity, mm-hmm. you have kind of two big categories of stuff. You have the play at any time, self-administered stuff, mm-hmm. and you have the hosted stuff. Yes. There's other ways to break that down within those but let's just take those two the stuff that you can self-administer i don't think that's going away because escape rooms as a business have long had a scalability problem that predates quarantines it is something that we had been aware of and we had been thinking a lot about that an escape room company that becomes massively successful is limited by their capacity and there's a there's a plateau that requires an astounding amount of investment and organizational um, growth to break through and do it without compromising your product. Absolutely. So what I like about these is that, and using CU Adventures as an example, they have produced a line of products that they can continue to make money off of, that they can put an advertisement up in their lobby and once they're up and running again, they can say, hey, $5, this is, this is yours. They can, you know, right now they're selling them for 10, but they can do like a, you know, a deal. If you buy it right now, as you're leaving your game, you can go home and play this $5. That's an extra $5 in their pocket. Then they didn't have to do anything else. That's a, you know, I don't know that they're going to do that, but it's, it's an opportunity and it's an opportunity for growth that doesn't require employees. It doesn't require no overhead know, really. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it requires a little bit of, you know, you pay for a server, you pay for a web domain, that's it. Yep. The- and I think that exists in in the tabletop too. I mean, having mm-hmm. a shelf of product you can buy on your way out the door um, to play later, to play at home, to give as a gift, especially something tangible in a box that you can wrap up for your friend, like, that is an opportunity and it's the same opportunity. It's not, it, I mean, it's self-administered. And I know Dark Park in the Netherlands, you know, they started their Dark Park games yep. branch. They were selling tabletop games in their lobby in, in the Netherlands to begin with. So this is not something that's totally new for them. They're, this is something that I know they're looking at as a, as a long-term play. So I think that the stuff that scales well, I think is going to fare really well moving forward the stuff like avatar driven games these hosted games i think are going to almost entirely disappear except Mm -hmm. for maybe two instances one are going to be small scale things run out of maybe people's homes Mm -hmm. Um, someone set something up in their basement or you've got something like um uh nick from why am i going blank you escape you escape nick from you escape you guys and you guys were uh running his stuff i believe oh yeah yeah big fans yeah so that stuff i think has has long run you know longer runway the other stuff that i think does is if you look at like the the folks from project avatar in in uh in the ukraine if you have a company that's based out of 
a country that is not on the dollar, that's not on the euro, that's not on the pound, and they can be selling to audiences that are on those currencies, then the money that they can make can be can far exceed what they would be able to sell to their local audience. Mm-hmm. I not think, to mention that they can make it at hours that their local audience absolutely. won't play anyway. Yeah. 100%. So I, I think that the, the, but there is, escape room owners are not getting rich off of avatar games at best. They are, they're breaking even because it requires more energy and more effort for lower reward. And it feels like it's less valuable to the players in general. And so they get more, they become more price conscious than they are of going to a physical room. And it's just, it's, it's, it's really bad on these owners. I genuinely feel bad for them because what they're selling is a harder to manage product with lower margins for a lower amount of money. And they're still being told it costs too much. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I, uh, I, I keep coming back to, I feel like we experienced a little bit of a renaissance of at-home entertainment during COVID, whether, whether like that, it was good that that obviously in COVID is a bad thing, but, uh, jigsaw puzzles were sold out everywhere. You, a lot of board games did like we, we found ourselves at home again and I think for, especially I would say the generation ahead of us, there was some nostalgia for the, the current generation and our generation and maybe the generation ahead of us. They found that there are still veins of the things that they enjoyed at home. Mm-hmm. So for the world that we kind of cover, I think this is maybe the, the kick in the pants that we needed, uh, but we have to, and we'll talk about this later, I think we have to do a better job of getting the word out there about these things because so many of the, I'll call them indie designers that don't have the, you call them bespoke, that that don't have these mass markets yet. I personally feel like if they could get there, some of them could destroy. Like the games are that good. I truly agree. And I think that there is, there, there are some amazing creators in this space. I think we as a community need to get past the buy everything mm-hmm. moment that we're in. I think that there's too much and we need to become better at sharing information with one another about who this is for, you know, not just whether good or bad, but like, who's it good for, who's it bad for? Yes. Because this is going to burn out. The community will burn itself out. The diehards will burn themselves out if they are constantly consuming trash in the hopes of finding a gem here and yep. there. Sure. And that's not good. This is a thing that we see among hyper-experienced escape room enthusiasts. At some point, you start seeing diminishing returns on the, the bottom two-thirds of the market. And so if you want to continue doing this, you have to get better at doing the research. You have to get more comfortable with playing fewer games that are higher value to you. And that's really where Lisa and I are at. We we will write negative reviews. We don't want to. We don't want someone to send us a game to review if they don't believe in it. And we don't want them to send us a game to review if they haven't played some of the stuff that's out there. Like if you haven't gone and played, you know, something from Crack and Nut and something from, you know, mis- um, the uh, mystery subscription box, if you haven't played Blue Fish or something from Dark Park, 
Like if you haven't played these games before you sit down to create one, you're doing it wrong. I agree. Mm-hmm. And that's, that to me is, and, and in the, in the old days for escape rooms, it used to be like, well, you probably, if you're going to open up a game, you should go and visit a city like Nashville, or you should visit LA, or you should visit New Orleans, or you should go, you know, go to the Netherlands. You should go and play in one of these really good markets. There's no, it, that's expensive. It's hard. It's time consuming. In tabletop gaming, there's no excuse for, you know, with a couple hundred dollar budget and a, and, 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 and a couple, and a couple weekends, you can play through the top tier of this, of, of this industry and have an understanding before you decide that you're going to build your own game. That's fair. That's fair. Let's, let's transition our conversation to our next question. I think it's a really good segue and let's talk about our creators we and the people that, and we have been talking to so many creators over these past couple months, getting them to come on the show and just sitting down with them. I can't remember a more passionate, caring community that I've been a part of. And I think that's a really good start, but being caring and, and being together doesn't get you to the point where I feel like a lot of these creators who are side hustling it can primary hustling it. So this is, this is a question to put out there to our creators is I want to talk about what we think they are doing really well and where they need to grow. Because one of my personal goals is uh, I hope that I do a good enough job in what Zach and I have through playing through this podcast and other things to put people on the map so that this becomes their full-time experience because they are that good. They are that talented. They have worked that hard. Yep. So let, let, let's talk about that. What, what do we think creators are doing fantastic? Don't stop doing these things, but hey, we, these are things that I would either change or that you're not doing that you need to start doing. So it depends on the category, but I think we're really talking about the this bespoke, this this small small scale. These like the, the folks who are really in yes. the puzzle people Facebook group. Is yes, really I, what I would say about. that is our small subscription and our bespoke folks. What do they need to do to to get up and get going to the next level? So, I think that first of all, the puzzle people Facebook group is in my experience, the nicest place on Facebook, which might come across <laughs> as true. like a so compliment. Um, but I, I mean, I mean that with love. It is, it is by a wide margin, the nicest group that I have engaged with on Facebook, period. And I love that. I wish that I actually had more time to engage in Facebook, in, in, in that group specifically, but um, really just, I love that group. So, Agree. Okay, let's set that aside. I think that these companies are increasingly doing a very good job of figuring out what they are and producing games that push what they are into an interesting direction. Yeah, I think that like if you take if you take um, Maddox Lost Treasure great as an game. example, very good game. Yep, great game. Really different game. It's a game that the way that it played appealed more to me than it did to you. Fair, very fair. And we, bo- But we both really enjoyed it, and it felt different. It had a different tone and vibe and play style to it. And I, like, I think of it a lot like music, where you can have a musician who's amazing in a particular genre, and they don't play a different one, and but they do incredible and experimental, and they keep pushing boundaries within that genre. That's awesome. And I want to keep seeing more of that. I 
you know, I think that like, like Kraken Nut is doing that. I think that, um, you know, Rita Orlov from Post Curious just like keeps these, these people keep killing it. I've already mentioned Bluefish. Like, I, I, if I had the time to just play puzzle games entirely for fun, um, which is weird as I it's become a weird job of mine. And I don't get to choose everything I play. But like, I think we would probably just like mainline bluefish puzzles until the end of time. Oh, those newspapers. I love those newspapers. The Gazette. Yes. Yeah. We don't have, like, we don't get to play them very often, but when we do, we love them. So I think that doing more of that, doing more of figuring out who you are as a puzzle creator and iterating on that. How can you take another step in that direction? How can you figure out your own style, your own tone? That's what's key. And I guess the flip side of that, of what can you do better, is how do you then communicate what that tone is and find the people who will love it? Mm. Which I think is a repeat of something I said earlier differently. Um, but that I think that's... Yeah, because um, these games keep falling into this aggregate bucket of tabletop puzzle games or tabletop mystery games. And honestly, we use both terms, but there's really very little differentiation between the two. I never know when I buy something labeled a mystery if it's going to be like like Sherlock Holmes consulting detective where I have to like read prose and put together clues and like solve a murder or yep. if I'm going if it's going to be tabletop escape roomy and I'm going to solve puzzles that are going to go and eventually cipher out to the name of a person who killed a person. Sure. Mm. And and people can't always tell me. This is one of the things that I experience because I people a lot of creators write to us and ask us to play and review their stuff. And I have a number of questions that I send back to creators to try to dig into what this experience will be so that I can properly decide if we're the right people to cover it or how long you know, to plan for it or any number of things. And people can't always describe their game well to me, mm. which I think is a, is a real challenge. It's a huge marketing challenge. And I think marketing is one of the hardest things for a, a creator who's in it because they love creating. They're not in it because they love marketing. So that's really hard. So true. Which brings me to the next thing that I think these creators need to do, which and this is like, this is just me projecting because we're terrible business owners from like Room Escape Artist as a, as a business, like is very professionalized, but we're terrible at actually putting re like reasonable and intelligent business models onto the things that we create. We're atrocious at it, like laughably <laughs> bad at it. So when I say these things, they're, they're not like, I'm not saying it judgmentally running a business is hard and Preach, brother. kind of, mm, kind of awful in a lot of ways. It's great and awful. You know, we, we talk about like the puzzle design and, and all of that, you know, and all that stuff, you know, the, the storytelling, we, we focus on that. That's one tiny part of it. There is all of the production. There is the accounting. There is the legal stuff, which, you know, becomes the more you scale, the more all the stuff starts to matter HR starts to become a thing, hiring and firing and all of that, you know, shipping, just dealing with the fact that like, you know, our postal system broke. <laughs> yep. All of that stuff are, are, are harsh business realities, customer service. Yep. Brexit. We don't focus on that at all. 
And that's, that's where you actually, like, that's the stuff you need in place to properly make money, to stop having it be a side hustle and have it be a real job. And it's so hard because none of it is fun. And all of it are requires specializations that you could literally go get a college degree in and spend a whole career developing in. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on some of that. And Zach, I'm interested in to hear your thoughts too. I, from the, what are they, from the, what are they doing well perspective? Um, I'm, I'm encouraged to see some of the newer, newer creators double down on creating more content that is not of the same series. Right. And that and when we all know in today's day and age, whether it's digital or physical content is king. So like Lisa said, if you can ever get it to a marketing standpoint, because that, yeah, I agree. That's not fun and that's hard. And more than anything, it's expensive if you're going to break in and not and do it yourself and not be picked up by like a Mattel or somebody like that. But I'm seeing them not just make one thing. Example, we've talked about Maddox. Society of Curiosities, they're, they're doing that. They have the digital game. Um, they have their fairy tales coming out. And then we even got mm-hmm. to talk to them about the, the work that they're doing with the, um, the house that's in uh, San Diego that they've got the rights to, and they're going to make a series off of that as well. Like the, the, um, the, uh, uh, I know I'm brain farting amazingly the, right now. The, the gun heiress. Um, I don't remember it. Is it, I'm gonna, um, I'm going to Google it. Is it Remington or? Let's see if we can find it. Winchester Mystery House. That's it. The Winchester Mystery House. Yes. But uh, but yeah, there's three different lines of products that I think even some of them are going to be hitting different levels. Same thing with Bluefish coming out with the Gazette, having the online. Like, like I, I think that is a smart model because when you have a diverse set of offerings, you are able to touch different markets. Yeah. And, and, and people who are just sticking with one product, I know it's so much to even manage one product, like the people that are doing month to month, I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you're making yeah. content that fast, but I feel like a diverse offering is something that I'm seeing that I really like. I, I fully agree. I also think that like thinking about, thinking about baking in the production into your design process, not just designing the coolest thing you possibly can realize that, you know, figuring out how you can source all of the components and then going and building it like Hank's Gazette is brilliant because it costs next to nothing to actually produce it's, it's newsprint. And that's, that's smart. That's good. That's good business. Yes. Coming up with something that scales reasonably well, where you can do a reasonable production size on the budget that you have and do it in a way where you're narratively justifying it. It feels smart and fun, not cheap and chintzy. Like it's that's the that's the difference. And that that to me is like that's art. Yeah. When you go and you decide that you're gonna take the limitations that you have and turn them into something that structurally and narratively works and makes you want as a player, makes you want to spend money on a thing that didn't cost that much to produce. I, I love and respect that. I'm with you, Zach thoughts. Ooh. Okay. 
It's interesting. I, I think I thought a little differently than you guys did. Like uh, when I got at, like asked the question. So I, I'm looking at it a few different ways. So like for mass market, you know, cause you know, we we're talking mostly about like, you know, smaller creators and stuff like that. Sure. For some of the mass market, when I started playing some of them, like over the last year, you know, like some of them have a very set formula. Um, and we actually talk about this a little bit with wild Optimus a lot is there's just like a formula that they find that works, right? You know, brilliantly, brilliantly to works. their, to their credit for wild Optimus. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you just kind of find a formula that, you know, or like the unlock series, you know, or some of those games where it's like, okay, this is how the gameplay goes. This is what you'll do. And then you just play it, right? And then the the main format is the same. But what I think some of the mass markets do quite well sometimes is experiment. And I think you guys kind of talk about it a little bit with the smaller people is, you know, kind of figuring out what works well and then experiment how you can make it better. So like, you know, every unlock game, right, with their app, the game plays differently. Yes. Now, the, the app itself works mostly the same. But, you know, each game has a different theme, which has different music. There's different different machine types and different types of puzzles. So you don't feel like you're playing the same game and over and over and over and over again, but with just a different story. Um, it's just crazy how well, like, those types of mass markets can do that, and it works well. Because sometimes I'm worried that they get complacent. They almost, like I said, this is another, like, examples like the Disney formula, right? Um, or, like, Marvel's is where for a long time you know, and this is a little off topic, but like Marvel's movie style was the same. You know, you, you it just kind of was the same movie, but you just insert a new villain and new hero. And it kind of got complacent. So everyone at a time goes, okay, well, if I watched, you know, Iron Man 1, you know, Iron Man 2 is the same to an extent, but it's just new hero, new, you know, or new villain, new kind of uh, overarching Absolutely. story. So it feels like you're like, okay, it's kind of getting old. I'm waiting for something new. And then a new movie comes out, like let's say uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was the perfect example of this for that, for that style of media. Where it goes, I, you know, everyone's like, I don't know how they're going to have a, a talking, you know, there's going to be a raccoon that talks. There's going to be a huge tree and you just don't get it and, it. and it blows out of the water where it changes everything. And then every filmmaker tries something new and they experiment and it works. Yeah. And I and it's crazy to see that kind of work in the same, you know, in the at-home puzzle mystery space as well. You know, and then we've kind of seen that with some of the smaller creators too is where they get feedback from a game and they go, okay, this worked. You know, and I'm starting, you know, and like um, David Lisa said, you know, they start to get their identity and they're starting to figure out what fully works. You know, I, I you know, like crack, like Angela from Kraken Nut has kind of made that where she goes, I figured out what works and this is my identity. Now, how can I make the next game just crazy different, but solid, but still be Kraken Nut? Yes. And, and I find that very intriguing, but also, you know, in a space like this, you have to question or like you know, how can they get better is like getting people reviews. And I think that's another interesting thing that I hear all the time from creators is like, you know, I get reviews, but it's from the same amount of people, you know, you kind of get like the same type of responses back and forth, you know, and, you know, when we've been able to a little bit with the show is be able to get more feedback or like, you know, Dave and Lisa, obviously with the RoomScape artists are able to write their review and see how the creators are able to take that knowledge. And sometimes it's, it's hard. Right. Like obviously when I get criticism or if I get a review that I don't like it, you know, it hurts. Because it's close to home right now. Yes. It's like in, it's the, in, in the indie world, and I, f- I felt this as a first-time escape room creator, it's your baby. Yes. And it can't be it, it can't be your baby forever if it's gonna get bigger and grow and you're gonna you're gonna let that come in. And that's that's where I'm coming from a little bit, is I'm sitting here and I'm like, we've gotta, we've gotta learn to take hard feedback and run with it. And then the, the other thing is that I think the creators really need to do is um and we've talked about this a little bit but we we have to know who we're going after if we're going to grow we have to know our audience yeah. and so many of the games 
still are these really intense themes or they're high risk themes. And I, I, I remember David and I had a, a, a conversation about this in one of our Bray work rooms. Where are the approachable, low risk, yes, uh, like games that mo- nuclear family can pick up and and play and enjoy? And I think we see more of that now because we're we're going to do a future review on uh, Hinks Elevator. We just played it recently. Mm-hmm. To me, if that game was a tad bit easier, that is the game I'm handing out for a first time player, hands down. Like it, there's no question. It's now, in my opinion, it's a little difficult. And I and in talking with them, I know they didn't create it to be that, but that that is to me like. Yeah, any mom would pick that up. Yes. A, a fun, like almost Willy Wonka-esque story that that I would feel comfortable playing with my kids. But so much of what we do is heavy. It feels like it's for each other. Mm. Um, and and I feel like that is a a stop point. Like soup, soup another great example. Anybody, anybody can play soup, in my opinion. Anybody should play soup. But uh, I'm worried that we are continuing to build games for each other. And that is going to be the stopping point. Well, well, this is as big as your market can be. I, I have complicated feelings on that. I, I think you're, I think you're hundred percent right. But my feelings on it are layered. If you, if you take a look at like going back to the music analogy, you take a look at like you know the grunge scene in Seattle in the '90s. Oh yeah, baby. You know, these are people who are playing, you know, before this, you know, hit hit it big and became effectively pop music um, in, in its own weird way. These were bands that were creating something together. They were playing for each other. There is something special that can get born out of that. And I think that's what we're actually seeing yes, right now. Yes, sure. I totally I think, agree. I think that to a large extent, there is there's a ton of value in the the creators that we have vibing off of each other and you know friendly competing with one another yes and learning from one another and making games that they want the others to enjoy that they want the community praise because the you know praise from someone whose opinion you respect means a lot more than praise from someone who you don't know totally sure. agree totally agree at the same time I feel like, and there's, you know, there's a lot of conversations about like reviews and, you know, what the effects are of reviews. And believe me, I've put about as much thought into this as I think anybody could. <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we were very philosophical about the way that we approach this stuff. I wish that creators cared just a little bit less mm. or about the positivity or negativity of reviews and instead looked at them as market research. Sure. Because the fact of the matter is like, if I, you know, if Lisa and I have a hard time solving one of your puzzles, that's, that's not good. Right. I'm not saying we're the best puzzlers in the world. I'm not saying we're the smartest players in the world. There are plenty of times that we have dumb, but if we can't figure out how your puzzle works after we crack open your hint system, Yes, after, I agree. After the yeah. hint system, yes. And if and, and and after looking at your hint system, we're still trying to reverse engineer and our game starts to become trying to figure out why that was the answer. Like, your game is not okay. There is something that is very not okay with that. When 
we are struggling with your onboarding because the the you know, the first puzzles aren't doing a good enough job of teaching us how to play. It's a huge problem. These are things that fundamentally our creator community needs to face. They need to figure out how, where the edges are and which ones to smooth over. Yes. And the value of reviews, especially reviews in aggregate, once you start to get more of them, is that you can look at them in aggregate. But in order for you to get there, you have to be able to stop caring quite so much so that you can look at it and say, okay, this person, I think they're a jerk. I wish they didn't, I wish they didn't phrase this that way. Um, but let me try and figure out what it is they are saying and what it means to me as a creator and to me and, and, and to the products I'm putting out into the world. Because if you cannot figure that out, you're going to be stuck in like, like early days of video games. These games were hard, really hard. Yes. For a couple of reasons. Are. One was that people had no idea what they were doing. But the other was that they were deliberately made to be hard because the business model was earned. They were earning their money a quarter at a time. And if they knocked you out of the game, you know, a minute earlier, that com that money compounded out over the course of the day. Most of these games are not designed to be that hard. So, and, and if you are, you're in puzzle hunt territory. And if you think the money is bad in tabletop escape games, <laughs> money is even worse in puzzle hunt. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is reserved for just, we call them the puzzly insane and people that just really want to challenge. Yeah. But like, if you want to be getting into that realm, you can, you can spend the rest of your life just playing through the MIT Mystery Hunt backlog. The puzzles are all available on the internet and you yep. can you can solve those until you die <laughs> and not spend a penny. So like there is a limit to how much these games should be intellectual Olympics. And I think the more we can shed the competitive side of this, yes. and get more into the enjoyment and the narrative and yes. the self-discovery side of it i think that that is that's where the opportunity lies i think that having a decent level of challenge for the right game can be great yes. but making games more approachable is is where so much more money lives right and it's and it's hard too because right now you're for these smaller creators your market is other enthusiasts and in players so if you it feels like it's almost like a double negative if you make a game that's too easy your market isn't going to appreciate it off the bat so it's it's it i realize i'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth but it's um it feels like the only way to get there is to do that if you want to move beyond the couple thousand people box one proves you wrong oh one thing i'll add it's a little bit of a tangent but in terms of tangible things that you must do really well, your hint system. Your mm. hint system has to be phenomenal because if it's not, you lose your audience. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think we've, we've played a lot of games that have had mediocre to poor hint systems. And one of the things that David and I always do when we play a game, even if we play all the way through and never take a hint, then we go back and we pretend we needed a hint and we open the hint system for a number of puzzles and we think, would it have worked if yep. we got stuck? And I think that that's, uh, that's an area that really needs a lot more focus because unlike an escape room, 
you're not with your customer. And if on the second puzzle, they can't solve it and your hints don't make sense, you're done. There's no yeah. rescuing that situation Game over. and they're never going to buy another one. Yep. So I think it's something that people need to take really seriously. And, and it's also, I mean, when done well, it can also be super fun. It can have a character. It can be creative. It can be funny. It can become a part of the game. So it's not like punishment. Yes. And hint systems kind of dovetails into another thing that I wanted to say at this point is we, we, we put out a post in 2018 called 11 Principles of Tabletop Escape Game Design. And this, I wrote this in kind of an angry state this was like a tirade. It was, yeah. We came home. We were, we were out at at at, uh, at the Panera of Mediocrity. Yes, the place yeah. that we go to play bad bad tabletop escape games. Mediocre tabletop escape games and eat mediocre food. Yes. Mm. Um, Sounds like a lovely evening. This is a, this is a pre quarantine deal. Um, we played a game that really infuriated me on a lot of levels, and I went home and I wrote uh, eleven points and to briefly go over them. One is you need an inventory. You need to tell people what they're supposed to find in the box. So if they're missing something, they can get it. Case sensitivity. And this is still, this is an ongoing problem that drives me <laughs> completely bananas. This came up this week. Yeah. I mean, it comes up almost every week at this point um, is that the password inputs, you need to figure uh, out how to scrub uh, them. And I actually, I think at some point I'm going to probably just put up code on our website that you can grab um that just you can use to to, to do this um but basically if the fact that like i wrote everything all lowercase or all uppercase or i needed the first letter capitalized like that that shouldn't be a thing mm-hmm. there's not a technical reason why it needs to be um and it's it's awful when you have the right answer and it doesn't work and you spend a stupid amount of time spending in circles because it didn't work, only to find out that you had the right answer 40 minutes ago. Like, there's no possible way to feel good about a creator after they just stole that much time from you. Yep. Yeah, I totally, I, I totally, I totally feel that. It's, uh, and we'll put a link um, in the show notes up to that because I think that would be yeah. really helpful. One, because I think they're good points, and two, I think it's just funny to see David on a thoughtful tirade. Yes. <laughs> I think we, we, would... ed- we edited the tirade. It's less tirade Oh, I would love to see version one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, the, yeah, there's a whole bunch, and they and I think it really holds up. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we that I was angry about two, two and a half years ago, it, there's still things that bother me in these games today. Um, another thing is just like assumed gear. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I would encourage creators to think about is... You don't know where people are playing these games. Right. You don't know that they're playing them at home. Currently you do. Right. I don't have a freezer. Right. (laughs) Right. But like, I, you don't know that whether I went out to meet friends and were playing in a Panera. And that's my experience. Like, you know, I, you as a creator, you, you sell this thing and it becomes my experience at that point. You lose total control over it. So you have to put together a package that controls as much of that experience as you possibly can. Mm. And sometimes that may mean making it very clear to people up front, play this at home. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or have scissors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're gonna need water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no. You're gonna need it, to light something on fire. Yes. It's it's very frustrating to play a large part of a game and then realize that we're missing something that that we can't we can't finish it because we don't have water. Yes. Yes. And I I wanna I wanna interject here just for the creators that I know will listen to this. That everything that we're saying, I, th I think it has a chance to come off critical, uh, critical in a mean-spirited way. I think it's okay to be critical as long as we're trying to be constructive. Know that the reason we're having this conversation is because we are figuring out our, for ourselves how to get things out here. And these are just well-researched, thoughtful things that we, we, we love you guys. Your creations are awesome. Like we've enjoyed them. We're fans of them. We want to see it. We want to see it go to the next level. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. And like, for me, like when, when I get fired up, I can sometimes sound, I can sometimes sound angry. And like, to some extent, the, where that comes from is I, as a reviewer, I will write a negative review, but I actively hate it. Yes. We have, we have as a website, foregone a fair amount of traffic um, because we don't like, we don't like tire fires. Yes. You know, Back we, to being bad business people. Right. We are not, we're not fond of stirring up anger and controversy for its own sake. And we don't like to review stuff that's bad. And especially like, especially in a space like this, where you have these passionate creators, like it breaks my heart when someone sends me something. And I honestly just think it's trash. Yeah. Like we, we put one out not that long ago and, and it was from a creator who I genuinely like, I, I wanted to, I, you know, and I want, and I liked elements of what they did. But so much of the fundamentals were so flawed that there was no possible way to go and say that this is something that you should buy. Because yeah. that's the other thing is that like we want to give constructive and, 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 and kind feedback to the creators. But at the end of the day, we're not doing anybody a service if we're encouraging people to buy something that they're not going to enjoy. 100% agree. 100% agree. And it's so towing that line is so hard when you... Uh... You're because uh, I'm always fearful of coming off like the reviewer in Ratatouille, uh, and 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 I think that's like a generally well thought out you know meme of the larger culture of that. But I I really don't and Zach doesn't either. We have zero interest in in wanting to degrade anybody's creation yeah. or their th thought processes. I I have so much fun on the show when we get to talk about an amazing game that we just played. And then, uh, like I said in a previous episode, and I go to Target and I talk to the lady at the checkout line and I say, you need to play this game. Like, that's what I love about this. When I get to be the spokesperson for what is great and upcoming and, 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 and a win. And, uh, but, but at the same time, yes, I feel like our, our roles in this community are, we've, we've got to tell you what we honestly think. And that's why I've been looking forward to this episode so much is because all of this is in love and in research and in thoughtfulness so that we can, can keep, so honestly, we can keep continuing to do what we love to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I would rather talk a potential creator out of making something that is going to fail than give them a bad review. Yep. And he has. Yeah, I have. And that's why when I, when I say like, go and play box one and solve our shirts and witchery spell and, you know, Maddox lost treasure and root of all evil. Like when I go and I tell you to play that stuff, before you sit down to start making your own thing, I'm telling you because I want you to either take that opportunity to figure out, to calibrate yourself so that you can make something that's on that level or better, yep. 
or say, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm just going to go and enjoy these games. Or I'm going to go and do something different where I, I can excel. I just don't want, I don't want people putting, you know, putting, you know, risking their, you know, their finances, spending their time on something that is dead on arrival. Yep. And that's, uh, and that's hard to be the, uh, the bad guy sometimes. We totally, we totally get it. We we're I don't even feel like we've really left a super scathing review in our episodes thus far. And I know it, it's coming, like it's coming down the road where we have to be a little more critical than we want to be. Yeah. Uh, and then it's, it's hard to hear from the other side, but yeah, creators, if you're out there listening to this, like we, if, if we could figure out a way to get all of you to succeed, that's our goal, right? Because then yeah. we would just be playing games, giving our honest opinion and it would all be a pluses, but we, the growth does not happen through constant uh, positive encouragement. Yeah. It just doesn't. That's not how humans work. That's not how this world works. And um, so hear us out. We think you're doing great things, but especially to what David and Lisa are saying, like, hear, hear us out. Like, you have the potential to grow, but it's it, there's there's a couple of changes that are just going to have to happen if the market is going to grow and your share of that is going to grow. All right, let's, let's bump us on. And I think we actually covered a lot of our future questions saying, in that. But I want we to— We can be more brief. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And it, we were destined to do that. That's, that's just our level of passion amongst these four people. Uh, I want to I want to go down to a question about um, digital experiences. We'll do this, and we'll do a couple more because I know we're lo- a long winded, passionate bunch. But it's just a really simple question is in the, in the time that we live in, what we've seen. Do we really think that you have to have a digital part to your experience to move forward and to be one of the big dogs? No. Um, might be a surprise answer, but no, I, I don't think so. I think that it can help in some regards. Um, I think that, um, I mean, my answer is I hope not. Mm, Sure. Part of the appeal of a lot of these things is that they aren't digital. That's certainly part of the appeal of tabletop escape, uh, sorry, real life escape rooms is that they're not digital. I think that one of the things is we start talking about producing a community and producing products that live on into the future, digital starts to become a, um, a risk long-term mm-hmm. with technology becoming deprecated, having to maintain websites or apps far into the future starts to become costly. And also, depending upon your mode of thinking and what you want your games to be, do you want someone, you know, is this a game that you want someone to play now and or never? Or is this a game that you want someone to be able to, you know, give to their friends five or 10 or 15 yes. years from now? Yes. If that's the case, the digital component is almost certainly going to break the long, you know, break your game over the long haul in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, I want to see digital done well or not at all. Yep. Sure. Yep. No, I agree. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of excuse out there for poor digital at this point in the game. Yeah. And I'll add that I'm, I mean, if this were only digital, I don't think David and I would be where we are today. I mean, Mm. what we fell in love with was in-person escape rooms. And we were both tabletop game players before we met And that's what we really loved. And we like, I mean, I work in front of a computer all day and I don't want to 
play more games in front of a computer. I want to go out. And obviously this year hasn't been a year where we are going out and doing those types of things. Um, but I certainly th hope that there is a future where you can focus on those types of entertainment, tabletop or in real life of other kinds and not have to have a digital component. Our, my, my sticking point as a player, and I talk about this all the time, is I think it's so important for a game to have, and, and we don't review games that don't, to have a, a solid level of tangibility mm -hmm. for home play. Because I think one of the, one of the limitations when you're, you're talking about entertainment options, whether they're in your home or out, outside of your home, is exactly what Lisa was saying. Like you're away from a screen and your ability to bring great tangibility aged things. We see relics. We see like we were talking about earlier, like a cool cipher, like, and then for you to be able to retain that and have that, like it's yours. It was part of your experience. I, I just think it's, it's invaluable um, to the point where I've, some of our favorite games don't have any. Yeah. Don't have any, and I think there's room to continue to do that so well. Does that mean different things for your business model? Absolutely. Absolutely, it means different things for your business model to the point where I'd say it's probably more difficult to do that because digital, in, in a sense, has the opportunity to be cheaper than continually producing fine physical items, right? Yeah. And, that's, and that's what we see mass market versus some of the bespoke. But I, I, I like seeing digital done well. And I agree with that, but man, you can win people over with a surprise physical aspect that they are not expecting. And, and as we've been talking about, that's box one. That, that, that's box that's box one, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I think the digital aspect of games can be done quite well. And uh, some of the games we've talked about on other episodes, you know, one of my favorite parts is almost the digital aspect, if done very solidly. Agreed. Um, there's been games we've played where the the website or the online part ruins it or makes me feel less like uh, immersed in the game almost. Mm. So like, and then the other part, which you guys have brought up to an extent, which is tangibility with items is like, nothing feels cooler to me than when I show up to our front door of our office and there's a black <sighs> mysterious box on it that it goes with root of all evil, right? And I go, oh, what's this? You know, and I stare at it. Jared will tell you this. I do this every day. I'll go in there and I'll see it and I'll see just the side of the box. And I go, okay, this is interesting. I'll read on top of it. I see there's like, okay, I don't know if, what it is in there that actually has this, but it almost looks like there's like moss or something on the side and it and I can see it just to the thing and it intrigues me so much that I go every day, I go, I want to open that so bad. We both, we do, we both have our games that we're not allowing ourselves to play yet because we have, you know, you understand games that you've promised to review that you've got to, you've got to get to first, but it is like, I, I don't know. Is it is it just being human and having the ability to sense and touch that draws us to those things? But I, obviously, you need a high level of that in an escape game. You and in good ones, you get that. Mm -hmm. um, but in 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 the at home world, I just can't help but be drawn to. Maybe it's in the marketing, but when I can see it, yeah. that's that's when there's a connection made for me as a consumer. All right, let's go. Go ahead. So I feel similarly to physical goods as I do digital ones. I feel kind of, this is kind of a philosophy for all of it is do it well or don't do it at all. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Don't send me cheap 
tchotchkes that have nothing to do with the puzzles just to make something tangible. Agreed. Like tangibility in and of itself is not inherently valuable. It's what you do with the tangible thing. And I think that's, you know, like the moss in Root of All Evil, like genius. <laughs> genius. Purposeful. Let's call it purposeful tangibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just whatever it is you're doing, do it with intent. I like it. And I think a, an add-on to that is, I mean, ask yourself, will I want to throw it out? Um, because we've we've opened a lot of boxes that had, you know, sort of a, a cheap tangible component that sort of fit the story. And at the end, it went in the trash. The game's not, you can't give the game away. You can't recycle the component. Yep. And it's not something that we want to put on the shelf over here and and have around it's not something we want to pick up and and so i love the tangible components that become keepsakes that become memories of that game of the experience we had that we might you know use again for something else that are really cool those we keep and those we love um but it is it's unfortunate when it's there just to be tangible and it's actually trash there are times where I actually feel bad when I'm dumping a lot of stuff into the garbage after playing one of these yeah. games. And that's the thing to keep in mind is that that is, in a lot of cases, the last memory that someone has of your game yeah. is throwing away all of the junk. Yep. That's not great. Sobering. Sobering thoughts there. <laughs> not to be negative. Yeah, no. but it's but it, but it's a thing when you st when you stop and you think about like if you're really wanting to grow in this space, you have to think about the product life cycle. That's you know from the player learning about it to their purchasing and what's the buying experience to the game arriving at their doorstep and what is that like to them opening it up and beginning to play. What is it like to begin to play? What is it like to figure out once they figured out how to play how that grows from there? What is it like when it ends? And then the last question you really have to ask yourself is two, what is it like when, what do they do with it when it's done? What is that life cycle like? Yep. And what is it that they're going to remember? What is it that they're going to tell people or not tell people? Are they going to remember, is it, are they going to forget that it existed? Or is there going to be something special in it where they're going to be like telling their friends, you have to go play this so that we can talk about it. Yes. If you don't, if you're not thinking through all of those elements, then there is a component of your product that you are neglecting. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Do it. I, I like the, if you're going to do it, do it well, do it with intent, do it purposefully, and you'll probably have a lot of success with that. Don't, there isn't a model out there, I feel like is what we're saying, that you should have this many digital items, this many physical items. If you're trying to look for a formula without expressing your creativity and intent on that game, you, this this is not going to work well for you. Um, even with the best marketer in the world, it is it it, it has an end an end timeline for when it, when it will work out. I think that's what we're saying. All right, let me let me jump in. I got two more questions for us um, to round out our podcast here today. Uh, this one I think is I think is a fair a fair question because we have to talk about the industry at large, and we we have to realize that all market shares are not created even. And equally, we, we, it does not matter what industry you're in. This is, this is true. Mm -hmm. So what I want to know is 
Should we all buy into the trickle-down model of players from larger companies? And what I mean by that, and I'll use me as an example. I am, I, our escape room here in Tennessee is on the doorstep of one of the largest escape room companies internationally, nationally. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to phrase it. Definitely nationally. Definitely nationally. Um, And, and they, uh, they have three, they have three locations less than 20 miles from where my smaller market escape room is. And on the onset of thinking about that, I used to be really frustrated with that because I thought they're taking all of my players. Like it was a struggle, but then thinking more through it, conversations with you guys, it's the best thing in the world for me. This is the best thing in the world for me. But I want to talk about why that is and it, and do we believe that that is the case in our at-home world as well? Are we seeing players trickle down from our larger companies? And with that is if we believe that that is true and that can funnel more players to some of our smaller companies, should we hold these larger companies as a community to a higher standard? That's a fun question. <laughs> it's loaded. It's definitely loaded. So it, to, to set the stage here further, the escape room market in Nashville and the surrounding area where you are is, in my experience, in our experience, completely unique. Mm. So to paint a picture for you, Nashville proper is basically a crater of the escape room world. And in the middle of that crater are three three branches of the escape game, the home offices as well. Most of the other escape rooms in Nashville proper are really not worth worth visiting. And the escape game has a an iron grip on the downtown area. 100%. Yep. In the surrounding area, along the periphery of said crater, you have a like kind of an arc of suburbs that have a ton of amazing ma and pa escape room companies. And it's a really creative, fun, collaborative market. Yes. The escape game as a dominant player historically has been very good at creating habitual escape room players and not just players of the escape game, but people who go out and play other stuff. And we became aware of them years before we played because half the journalists and enthusiasts we ever encountered who were into escape rooms, we would ask them, what was your first game? They would always, they would always say, oh, we, we, we played the Nashville room at the escape game. Yes. I was like, it was, it was such a common answer that it was, it became almost a joke. So the escape game has consciously strived to foster growth within the larger escape room community. And I know that they have because we've had conversations with their management about yes. this. Mm. They're good dudes. They're they're genuinely just wonderful human beings. And they totally gave agree. they gave the keynote opener at our convention this past year. They did a brilliant job with it. That's not really the norm for big escape room companies. Um I'm not going to name names. But that's not when you when you when you typically say when people are generalizing about escape room chains and franchises, they usually go and say a whole bunch of negative stuff and then probably put an asterisk and say none of that applies to the escape game. They're, so they're a they're a weird unicorn in this space. So all of that is a long lead into 
the mass market is not part of this community for the most part. Mm. Some of the creators are. Yes. You know, you'll have, you know, like Nicholas Cravada, who's, you know, done like the, the, the break, you know, the breaking stuff and, and the think fun stuff. Um, the, he and his wife, you have, um, whose name is eluding Rebecca? me. Rebecca, that's it. Rebecca Blue. Um, when, you know, Juliana and Ariel, these, these folks are engaged. Actually, some of the people from Exit are, they, they're, they're more plugged in than I think the community is aware of. Mm. Um, but, Both on the creator side and the marketing side for Exit. Yeah, but the companies themselves are not. Um, the companies in, you know, in, in some total are not, they don't care. This is a product line that they're not, they're not really aware of or care about the impact that these things have on the larger escape room community. They will put out these games as long as they are profitable. And if they see a substantial dip in sales, they will stop putting them out and they will move on and they will never, they'll never pay any attention to it. They will not care whether they flood the market and strangle to death an entire, you know, an entire industry. They, they will not care on a corporate level. That's not, not saying that about the creators themselves. Yes. But so that's the, I think the big thing to keep in mind is that like, I, I don't, I, 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 when you talk about bluefish, these are people who are invested in this community. When you talk about a Mattel, this is a company that is invested in toys and games. Sure. Mm-hmm. A, a bottom, and, and not like they're horrible people, but they're, they're a bottom line company. It's, it's, it's just that their, their priorities are not the growth and sustainability and nurturing of a community. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the same way that like Juliana and Ariel who create games for Mattel, they are. Yeah, so like that's, totally I think it's, I think that's something that gets lost in the conversation. And I want to make sure that that's framed up. So large companies are good at distribution. They're good at production. They are not necessarily, you know, they're, they're only going to respond to stuff that affects the bottom line. Absolutely. So if we review bomb them when they put out a faulty product that it's really easy to, you know, jump sequence and break the game or has an insufficient hint system, when we affect their sales on Amazon, they will take note of that. What they will do with that, who knows? Will they cancel the product line? Will they decide, you know what, maybe we should actually invest a little bit more time and money into beta testing? Don't know. But the only way to affect them is to affect, is to affect sales. Mm. And one of the things that I find, I find really interesting about the tabletop scene is that like taking unlock and exit as examples, yes. these are two product lines that just feel like they are like, like the communities who enjoy them feel like rival houses. Um, there are unlock people and there are exit people and there are a handful of us in the middle who are like, I see pros and cons to both. Yeah. Um, but for yeah, the most so. part, like especially when you step out of the puzzle community and into like the tabletop, you know, the tabletop gaming world, when you look at like tabletop review sites, they either love exit and hate unlock or vice versa. It's I, so even, weird. But yeah. we see it a lot. We see it all the time. Um, I think that there, there is, there, these things appeal to different people in different ways, and that's okay. But Tonopol's treasure from Unlock is super easy to break. 
And that's ridiculous. And I do think that that to the question about, I mean, should we hold them to a higher standard? We should hold them to a standard. Mm -hmm. We have to play and review their games as well. We have to say, Tonable Treasure is bad. It is broken. Don't buy it. Because if someone Googles it, because their friend mentioned it, because they heard of the series, like just just don't buy that one because you'll never play another one and you'll never investigate this genre again. We want those companies to breed repeat players, even though that's not their goal. So we want to call out those products that are subpar um, because we want to make sure that people don't accidentally end up choosing a subpar product, having a bad experience, and never coming back to the whole genre. I also think that for these mainstream games, the easier ones are almost always better. Like for Exit, um, Sunken Treasure is one of their easiest games, and it's a delight. In my in my opinion, it is just a delightful game to play. One of the problems, though, and escape room owners who have ever dabbled with, I don't know if you guys ever created difficulty levels or gave difficulty ratings to your games. I've, we, for the most part, have just, like, compared them to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've found that, like, the newbies, the muggles come in and yep. are like, which what's your hardest game bro oh for sure yeah that's very for common sure. let's let's go let's go crush that skinner's like, box yeah we want that right we're all smart put us in your hardest room and that's that is the absolute wrong way to have a good time for almost every team yep. Yep. and even even us now when we go and we play multiple games of the company we will actively try to play their easiest game first so that we can get to know their style of play and have an easier time in the harder games Yes, because we want to be able to enjoy. We don't want to like, we want to be able to take in the experience. And I feel the same way about these tabletop games is that if you, and this is, this is one of the things that's really hard about it. If you let the uneducated player decide based off of difficulty, they will choose the hardest game out of pride more often than not and screw themselves in the long run. Yep. Yep. That's fair. But we continue to do it because it feels like uh, it's necessary for marketing or distinguishing product from product. And I agree. It's not, uh, it's not helping anybody out there do that well. Cause it, and it's, and it's honestly, it's so arbitrary. Like I want to see a company show me like your grid for how you justify a cipher process puzzle versus a riddle on the uh, international scale of difficulty. I would love to see that, that report. I mean, it's, it's, it's not possible to really quantify this stuff, which is why like we've had a long and distinguished history of not quantifying our reviews. Same. Um, which I think some people get really annoyed with, uh, but we're committed to it. Um, but, but I like that because you do, you get the good, you, I, I like how y'all, y'all get the good, you get the, the bad, and you get the middle ground too. Like we're not, it could be this or that. It, and, and, I, and I like that a lot. But I'm, mm-hmm. uh, the reason I put this question in here is because, and it may be, I think I'm projecting a little bit if I'm being honest, is I, 
I want to draw those people back into our community if they're not already there, because I just see it as been I, I, I see it as beneficial having experience like you guys talked about a unicorn of a company around me. And I do think that there is a lot of value, especially like we talked about, like if we're looking at market share in this world that that Zach and I are focusing on, you've got Hunt a Killer, you've got Mysterious Package Company and maybe a few others that you had thrown in there. But like, I would argue that between those two companies, if we're talking about throughput of players, they easily have, I'm going to, I'm going to say 70% of the attention that, and that, that may be too much, but that's my, just in looking and researching, I feel like they own that much of the space right now. And it's, it's, it's just hard for me because I, I just want, I want to see that trickle down to other great creators who, in my opinion, are creating stuff that is better than what those mass marketers have. I mean, I think that Exit, Unlock, Escape Room in a Box, I don't know what their numbers are. Think Fun, sure. they're moving a lot of product. Okay. They're moving way more product than a Hunt a Killer is or a Mystery Package. Sure, and, th- and those kind of like round out like our three categories that we talked about, right? Like bespoke. if we're talking bespoke, that feels more NPC. If we're talking subscription, that's hundred killer. But I agree with you. The ones you just mentioned for mass market, hundred percent. That collectively, the challenge. I mean, this has always been the escape room challenge. Is that these things get defined for an individual by the first game they play? Yes, mm-hmm. and yes. that's why it's cool to be in a satellite orbiting the escape game because. For most people, under most circumstances, they do a bang-up job with their service and they present a quality product. There are other cities, and I'm not going to name names, there are cities that are pretty dead because there is there was an early company that established themselves and they were able to get enough, you know, get the overwhelming majority of media attention push up the prices on Google and Facebook ads and dominate the sales. And these are companies that were fine with getting one and done clients. Yep. And that's, they've, they have effectively strangled out these markets. So when people ask us about like, what's the state of the U.S. escape room industry, we're like, it's, it's regional. There is no U.S. escape room industry. There is a New York industry and there's a Boston industry and there's a Nashville industry and there's a D.C. industry. Um, these are all different markets and they're all behaving very differently based off of the patterns that we see within them. And I think it's, you know, the, the tabletop market is very much the same. It just happens to have a really lovely community attached to it that I think over the long haul, if they're able and willing to share outside of themselves, will grow more. That's great. And so I think the message to players who are listening, uh, whether you're a player creator or just a player player, um, is invite somebody who you don't know if they're going to like it. This is kind of new. Um, Even these days, you know, you've got to each buy a copy of it and then play together over Zoom or try to set up a camera and take photos of it. It's much harder. But invite your friends to try a tabletop escape game with you who have never done this before, because that's really the best thing we can all possibly do. I'll I'll add, like, I think that 
escape rooms and the puzzling community in general is a group of people who are not keen on sharing things on social media. Mm-hmm. They might share within a narrow space, but they're not people who readily click like buttons and click share buttons and click retweet. This is something like, I'm not, I'm not making this up. We've put out two days ago, we passed 1900 posts on room escape artists. That's awesome. And one of the big challenges that we've had, and I'm just like, this is actually the first time I'm vocalizing it in public is that we have this diehard community of people who are very engaged with the content. They don't share it. Mm-hmm. They don't put it out there. And that's fine. Like, I can't, like, I don't want to force anyone to do it. But what I do want to go and ask people is, like, think about it. If you like something, put it out there more. Because, you know, share this podcast. Share, a, you know, share a game that you really like. Share a review, a positive review of a game that you really like put this stuff out there more because that is how we will foster more of a community. Your friends, the people, if you like this stuff, there's a good chance the people that you are connected to will enjoy some aspect of it as well. And that's the, that's one of the things that I think that we are as a community lacking. We're very good at talking to each other. We're very bad at talking outside of our community. The power of weak connections is so powerful. I mean, that's, I was reading something. Yeah, strength of weak ties. Yes, that, that's what it is. Yeah, I was yeah. close with those words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, so many people get jobs through the strength of weak ties. Um, but also this community can grow and any community, any interest group can grow through the strength of weak ties. But people sharing and somebody sees it and they're interested and they click and they buy the game and they get hooked or even if they don't get hooked, even if it's something that they do three times a year, right? that's more than never. And that's, and that's, what's crazy to me is like, we're not talking about like a, either something that is boring, like, man, I just invented this new uh, pipe for plumbing and it's uh, yeah, it's going to revolutionize the like, or, or we're not talking about something, especially in our day and age. That's like politically, divisive we are talking about the some of the coolest things man like this is what we're doing with our livings in our free times we're building puzzles and mysteries and like no one is gonna fault you ever for hey i got this cool treasure like i it and that's and i think that's a big reason why i'm here is because like i feel like i'm or we're trying to be some of the few people that are waving flags publicly like i i'm i'm happy putting on the Chuck E. Cheese costume and going out to the street right now and, and dancing to try to get people in the door. If that's what this podcast is going to amount to. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we, we were so happy to have, have you guys entering the fray here in this way. Cause like it's, we've been doing this since 2014. We have, yeah, we take every single journalist who has ever written to us from, we don't care how small a, a news outlet they are, we get on the phone and we give them as much time as we need to make sure that they actually understand what this stuff is and they don't just publish a whole slew of stupid cliches that don't actually apply. And that's, we need, we need people out there and it can't just be 
the podcasters and the bloggers, you know, it, it needs to be the community who is going out there and representing themselves to this, to their world, to their world, to their friends, yep. because that is how we grow. And that's how we puncture past the barriers of this being small and niche. And when we do, the community is going to change. Yes. There's going to be stuff that th- th- those of us who have been here are going to look back with, you know, nostalgically and say, man, I, I kind of wish the old, w- you know, miss the old days <laughs> when everybody, you know, ev- ev- uh, when, when Angela was just sending puzzles right. all over the world because no one else was doing it. I miss the secret Santa group. Right. Yeah. Like, we're we're going to miss some of that. But what we gain by creating a broader, stronger community where all of our creators are able to actually make a living off. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. We don't like Lisa and I don't make, we don't make our living off of room escape artists. It eats up every waking moment that we're not doing our regular jobs or maintaining our home, but we do it because we love it. And we do it with the hope that maybe one day, at least one of us, probably me, will be able to just do this full time. Mm. But there is no, you know, there's been no quid pro quo. There has been no get rich quick. We still pay for a staggering amount of the content that we consume in this space. Yes. And we, you know, we more, even more now in the, in, in the last year, because we, we haven't really wanted to ask for discounts and things in the, in the way that we, we were and, you know, when things were all booming. Um, it's, it's hard and it's, it's a lot of work and, and that's just, that's just on one side of it. We want everybody in this space to be able to earn a living. Yes. Yeah. That's that, that, I, that's I fulfilling, I think is the word that makes me, that gets me excited. Mm-hmm. That makes me and us put our time and money yeah. into, like you said, like something that I doubt this podcast will ever be profitable. I know there's people listening right now that are, <gasps> but, uh, and a shocked Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, but it, it's, just to reiterate everything we're saying is just because you guys, I think more than anything, you guys, you creators and you people who are playing and helping these companies, you inspire us. And we owe a great debt to you all, not just in the games that you send us, but the time and the thought that you put us. And we want, we want to make this worthwhile for you, not only as reviewers, but it's people that want to spend our time, our short time that we have here going out and telling other people about this. So uh, this this has been great. I got one more question for everybody, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. This will be by far our longest episode, but it's it's in my opinion pure gold. Oh yes. Uh, no, that's that's us. That's totally on us. Uh, I, I want to ask this. We've t- I feel like we've touched throughout like who we're li- who we're digging on, what we really like so far. I want us to look forward to something that you've backed on Kickstarter that you haven't received yet. Um, what, what are we all looking forward to? If, if everybody had to say their one game that you're like, man, I'm hungry to play this and I'm so excited that they do this and this is coming out. Maybe if it's even a whisper that we're allowed to talk about, what, what is that thing for everybody? Well, I mean, there's no, uh, there's no ethical way to do this. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. I mean, so Spectre and Vox is something I'm super excited about. And I backed on Kickstarter. (laughs) I know where this is going. It it is the the technology that it's running on is, um, is the Loctopus studio app 
that we have created for Amazon Alexa. And by we, it's actually a separate company. It's not Room Escape Artist. We have a different partner in this. And um, we created a spoken word, um, a framework for making spoken word escape games. We had invited Nick Moran, who is one of my all-time favorite game create game designers. Um, we had invited him to create a game on Loctopus. And he said, I don't have time. I'm working on this crazy dollhouse thing. And he said, can I, can I see the thing you, you want me to use, you, you wanted me to work with? And so he sent it to him. And he wrote back and said, can I use this for my dollhouse game? I want to use it to advance the plot and deliver all of the, the narrative stuff. And I said, it wasn't designed for that. But if you think you can, uh, please don't bring shame to our houses. <laughs> um, I'm super excited to see what what Nick is doing with Spectre and Vox with the complete and full disclosure that we're making a stupidly small amount of money off of off of that. Um, we get, you know, like a dollar or something off of off, off of each game sold. Um it's not even covering the investment we made in the product itself, <laughs> okay. uh, in, in, in the Loctopus product itself. Um, but I am excited. I'm really excited to see this thing that we we created um, get put to use in a way that I, I we never imagined and being done by by a creator who I I just hold in such such high regard. Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's all make sure we say something different. I think we could all agree in a general sense. Spectre and Vox is going to be dope. Yes. We can't wait either, but everybody give me something. Everybody but give remember, me something. hype. Hype can kill. Hype can kill. I True. know. Hype can kill. Uh, managing expectations is important for Kickstarter. Uh, let's keep that in mind. Who, who else has someone? Zach, what are you, let's go to you. What are you, what are you waiting on? Ooh, this is hard. Okay, so I, I can only talk about things that are coming out soon. Or yes. can I talk about any game? No, yeah, what are you looking forward to? Ooh, that's hard. I'm trying to think of other games that are coming out soon that we haven't received that I'm excited for. Like there are games. I'm just trying to think of what's coming out next. Um, I'm I'm thinking through like uh, Emerald Flame, oh, or um, the Labyrinth, or having played Emerald Flame, it's it's worth being excited about. Be, be excited, Emerald Flame. I did forget about that. Have they? Is Mother Frankenstein out yet? No, not. That's that's one I'm I'm kind of intrigued in to be honest because I remember looking that at that one a good bit and I was like, this could be pretty cool. I I've I've read y'all's review, and I I'm sorry to use the hype word, but you got me hyped on it. Like you got me excited about it. It's it's it, it's cool. I mean these these companies are doing really cool stuff. There's there's so much. Yeah, I I feel like the game I'm really excited about right now hasn't been announced yet, so I can't talk about it. Sorry. <laughs> Lisa, you got to give us something tangible to hold on to. I'm not saying I'm not saying spill the beans, but give us give us something else because now I can't sleep at night having you having you said that. Pick something else. <laughs> uh, I think I think it'll be announced soon. Hold on, I'm gonna mute. Yeah, it's it's not announced yet. Uh, I don't know if you can, if you can say anything that you, that can be said. I don't. We can't. Yeah, we can't say anything. Lisa is prophesying that there is a game from a company coming that we should all be expectantly waiting some news on. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's I, what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know when the news comes out, but at the very least, I can say that we will be talking about it on uh, episode three of the Reality Escape Pod. That's uh, th- so that's a thing. Okay. I can, I can I can look forward to that. I can look forward to that all day. I'll I'll wrap us up and say, I'm so intrigued by Labyrinth. I we backed it. We even went. I think we even went big and went for one of the super deluxe Mondo, all all of that. And it's it's purely just the scale and the and the promises made by them. I I I want like I want to see it all come true. Mm-hmm. And just uh, following following them, like the amount again, the physicality. I love the physicality. It seems like there's going to be a lot of that. Will it, will it play out? I have no idea. But they definitely won me over on the front end and getting me excited about their product. So we'll see. Jury's still out. Yeah. We'll be excited to do an episode on that. But um, that's what has me like looking forward and getting excited. And I know we could all list a dozen more games. Like mm-hmm. we I, we nerded out when we found out that uh, Unlock was doing Star Wars and things of like, come on, how cool is that? That's awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, but so there, there's plenty of out there. But let me. Let me uh, let me open it up for anybody with some closing thoughts, and then we will lock down this episode in the record books. Any last thoughts from anybody? I feel like we've said a lot. <laughs> we, we've we've covered a whole lot of ground. We have. No. I I think I you know really just respect and appreciate what what you guys are making here, and we're really excited to see your podcast evolve, and just it's it's great to start it's great to see someone looking at this specific part of the of the industry you know and and really just go nuts with it and that's that's exciting to to us as some of the lone people who have been regularly covering tabletop um and even then it's never been our full focus yes um really excited to see more voices in this space. So thank you. And I always feel like we haven't done as good a job with it as I would have liked to, because it's not our main focus. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that also just makes me especially excited that you guys are here and are covering it. Yeah. We, we feel like we, when we get to cover it, we cover it as well as we possibly can, but it's just not necessarily timely. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a that's something that we've been consistently disappointed in ourselves about. Got you. Well, we those are super kind words. Yeah, very much appreciate. Uh, we're excited to <laughs> just even have you guys on the show because yes. we have a lot of respect and admiration for you yes. and have for some time. So, but we, oh yeah, we're we're gonna try to to do our best to to love on a very specific community mm-hmm. and to journey with them and to hand out. But it's uh, it, this has just been fun because we know yeah. you guys have been talking and doing these games for a while now yeah. and we've been playing them but only have as of late obviously been really focusing and reviewing them but it, it it has been an honest pleasure i'm excited to see with y'all's podcast yes. too where that yes, goes yes. um speaking as we talked about earlier y'all people when when you guys talk people listen and to know how much you guys care is exciting um to to attend what should have been an in-life recon, but to do it digitally. And that was amazing. I cannot wait to be there in person um, and celebrate, you know, what could have been, but should have been. But it, it it's just, it's fun to watch you guys grow and to now be, we'll call ourselves colleagues 
fellow fellow sufferers maybe along the way. Uh, it's 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 really fun, and I I couldn't ask for more than a great conversation from you guys on yeah. this episode. So thanks so much for for being a part of this and being so excited about it. Thank thank you for thanks for hosting for, us. Yeah, we were just really happy that we were, that we were able to be here. Awesome. Well, that is going to wrap us up today for our first seven-hour episode. Yes. That was so much fun. That that also was a big blast. And I know we covered some hard topics, but, you know, good things in life require some difficulty. Yeah. We, we hope that everybody out there from on, on behalf of Room Escape Artists and us hears us say that we could not be more honored to be a part of this community and to have yep. you guys trust us with your games. We want to push and join forces with you as we make this more culturally rev- relevant. Yeah, that that that's that's our that's our goal. That's why Zach and I started doing this. But if again, if you're not looking at the Room Escape Artist blog, you should be. Their new podcast coming out. We will be listening to it. You yes. should be listening to it. We all have commutes. We all have different times where we can listen to it. And it sounds like they have some really great content. Much love to them. We'll be excited down the road to have them back on the show and do some creative things with them. Yes. Uh, But a couple of things. Yeah, absolutely. Subscribe to what they're doing. Subscribe to what we're doing. We would love for you guys to put us on a regular download schedule. That helps us. That's going to help us reach a broader audience, which is one of our goals. Yep. Please do that. As for box one. You can find that at Target on yep. their website and coming soon, international purchase options with unridiculous shipping. Yes. So be looking for that as well if that's a game that you still want to play. But uh, that that's going to wrap us up today. Uh, follow us on uh, social media, Puzzling Company. Puzzlingcompany.com is about to have a huge renovation. Yes. That's coming. And next week we get just to keep talking to more great people. Yep. The ladies from Wild Optimist. I'm I'm very excited about that this. This is this is great. It's like a it's like a who's who of uh, tabletop royalty. Yes, and uh, we couldn't be excited to have both of them on and talk about one of their creations that's been out for a minute now. Yeah, so that's really going to be exciting. And then just look forward to the next couple of months. We have some really cool people coming on to talk about their materials, and just thank you. I don't think we have said thank you yet. Uh, thank you for those of you that are already listening. You don't yes. know how meaningful that is for Zach and I to come in. We check the numbers every day because yep, we're, we're, we're data-driven people. And to see that people are actually listening to us is meaningful. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Thank you. We hope to do a good job in return for everybody listening to us. That's going to wrap us up. For Jared and Zach, this is Puzzling Company. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.